1: business we have heretofore, you can speak with my aforementioned attorney. Good day, gentlemen. And until that day comes, keep your head to the
2: grindstone. Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, its history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I am a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello,
3: everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a writer, producer, and host over on the Outlaw Nation and voiceover guy. Uh,
2: and very excited to go back into Southie for the second part of Goodwill Hunting. And I am very excited to welcome back to our microphones our very special guest, a very special person in my life, Karen P. Morris. Welcome back to The Cinephiles.
4: Hello. Thanks for having me.
2: And I think we're just going to jump right back in. We just had that incredible scene with Sean and Will uh, that ended so powerfully. And now we go from some heavy stuff to a scene that I think is so much damn fun, mm-hmm. which is Will and Skyler's first date. And they're right now they're in like a joke toy house goofing around. It's really sweet.
4: Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I read that the woman in the scene is actually like one of the proprietors of that joke shop, that place that, they, she is, you know, yeah. so, which, I mean, you can't cast better than that. I mean, she is the real deal <laughs> and I love her.
2: <laughs> and I love Minnie Driver. I'm going to say it over and over again in this film. She's so funny in this scene. She's so comfortable being goofy. And as she's wearing like these, you know, joke glasses And speaking in this weird voice, and she. then we get some backstory. She says,
0: Growing up in England, you know, I went to a very nice school.
1: You know, it was kind of progressive, organic, do-it-yourself, private school. And Harvard, hopefully med school. You know, I figured out at the end, my brain's going to be worth (laughs) $250,000.
2: And first of all, she's wearing a tiara and has a wand and huge glasses at this moment. And what I love in this moment is that that comes out of her mouth, and then she realizes how it sounds, particularly because she's talking to a guy who clearly doesn't have a lot of money. Mm. That sounded horrible, didn't it? And then, right after that, with castanets in her hand, goes, "Bring
0: me another my (laughs) (laughs) tie.
2: That's a mini driver joke, by the way. That was her improv. Mm. And then Will has a sailor hat on, and she has different glasses on, and all sorts of silly stuff going on. Uh, And then Will, who has caramels, which is what he said they would have a date over, and then he does his magic trick to make them go away and goes, one, One, two, three. Throws them over his shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) I love his last line. (laughs) It
5: works better when I have my rabbit.
4: (laughs) They're both adorable in this scene. Like, they're both ridiculously cute because you can see that burgeoning, you know, young love kind of like, I don't know how to behave around you. Can I be as goofy as I really want to be around you? Can I, you know, can I show you these pieces? It's it's really sweet.
2: And then we cut to a shot through this burger place to the counter where they're sitting next to each other eating burgers. I think I've said it multiple times now, but this really is like the perfect date for me. You know, we're going to do silly things and then eat some burgers. What, what could be better than that? I know
5: you've been thinking about
2: it. <laughs> oh, no, I haven't. Yes, do you have. <laughs> you know, no, I really haven't.
5: Yes, you have. You're to get a good night kiss? No, you know, I tell you, I was hoping to get a good night late.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then I just love this. Their, their mouths are full of burgers, which, you know, as, as an actor, John, you know that that means they're eating a lot of burgers that day. Yes. And oh, maybe they have a spit bucket or maybe they don't. <laughs> Well, I think we should just get out of the way now. And their mouths are still full of burger when she leans in for the kiss. <laughs> I think I got some of your pickle.
4: <laughs> it's great that she chooses pickle. I mean that's that's the only appropriate piece of the burger to reference in that moment.
2: I think that is an amazing move from Skylar.
4: Yeah. It really is. It's such a it's such a um take charge of the moment in a really tells you a lot about the character way, you know? Well, I think Skylar has
2: amazing human understanding. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and is able to step across the rules of how we're supposed to do things to smooth the way because she has such a good understanding of people, you know? <laughs> so I, I think this is an incredible date sequence. And I also think just it points out something that... Uh, We've talked about the idea of love and first sight in movies. And, and basically if you have a very attractive guy and a very attractive woman and they look at each other in a movie, we're going to assume they're attracted to each other. That's just, that's how movies work. Yeah. But that's not the really good stuff. This sequence shows why these people fall in love. Mm. You know, you get why you would fall in love with Skylar and you get why Skylar would fall in love with Will. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it's, And so I'm so much more invested
4: in this relationship. When you really get, you get a sense like in that moment that they really do belong together. Like they're, mm-hmm. it, it on, they're one of those couples that on paper look like they would not fit at all, but there's something in their personalities that comes out in these sweet, tiny little moments. And that's, you know, and we all know in relationships that that's, That's That's where the. the, That's the stuff. That's the good stuff. Is those tiny little moments. It's not the big stuff. It's the little stuff. And Sean will get to that later on, and you know, in in the other scene. But it's so true that it's those little quiet moments that can really solidify Mm -hmm. um, a relationship.
2: We cut back to Sean's office. Will shows up, and Sean basically says, "Come with me," and Will follows him out, and we end up on the bench. And when I say that Will and Ben wrote this scene to bag a supporting actor and they tried to write an Oscar scene, that is exactly what they were thinking and what they said. That is why this scene is here. Yeah. And they didn't know it would
4: work. <laughs> I, I timed it. It is, it is a four-minute monologue. Wow. A four-minute monologue. And that, John, you know, I mean, we all know that's, that's hard that's a hard thing to do to pull off. And, and I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of pauses in it. There's some, there's sure there's There's angles and shots, there's there's moments, you know, but it is a four minute Robin is, is Robin is working his ass off for four straight minutes, making that scene look effortless. And, and it's, it's so beautiful.
3: And I sense that will senses where Sean is going, which is why he rolls out the jokes to try to, to try to avoid it. And Sean's like, we're not, no
2: we're going through with this you know and i love that you know what the monologue reminded me of john is a movie we did earlier this year mm-hmm. which is ben johnson in the last picture show oh yeah. yeah 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 you know you're talking to a young guy and laying some wisdom out yeah. in front of the water you're wild in my youth and all of that
6: yeah. Yep. I thought about what you said to me the other day about my painting ah. I stayed up half the night thinking about it something occurred to me fell into a deep, peaceful sleep and haven't thought about you since. You know what occurred to me? Oh. You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea of what you're talking about. Why, thank you.
2: It's all right. I think what Sean manages to do hmm. is to show strength through vulnerability in this scene. Yeah. yeah. And that, is, that takes a lot of courage and wisdom to do that. Yeah. So
6: If I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo, I know a lot about him. I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine
2: Chapel. You have never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. And this is this theme of Will has learned tons of stuff. Yeah. But has also used that as a wall to prevent him from living. Oh, yeah. When I ask you about love. Probably quote me a
6: sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable.
4: That moment. Yeah, that's I mean, because that's that's what he was just doing a little bit. He was dipping his toes in the water with Skylar Mm. of being vulnerable. Like he was he he wasn't being totally vulnerable, but he's like he can see that that's something that could possibly happen with her down the line. Yeah,
2: this movie does a thing that I think 100% works that I don't agree with, but I love. And what that is, is it links mental health and finding love in this way. And that's what this movie is, you know, is Will has to be vulnerable to Skylar and put himself out there in that way. And that's that's the secret to his mental health. And that's and it works great in the movie. I think people don't necessarily need to find the true love of their life in order to work on their mental health. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Those aren't exactly the same things. But you might not find
3: or be ready for the true love of your life if you don't. Exactly. That's a possibility. exactly. But possibility. Yeah,
4: we sh- we should never pin our own happiness on another yeah. person. It's got to be internal first and then then hopefully if we're if we're stable enough in our own yeah. in our own space we can then be open for love to find us.
2: Yeah. And this description of love from Sean. And by the way, uh the camera move is all very planned. Yeah. Is that he wanted to be completely on Sean for the first half of the scene. And then when you get into this section where Sean starts describing the love of his life, the camera is pulling back and now Will is included in this, in the shot.
4: Well, I think it's even like, I think we're mostly looking at Will and and only looking at Sean a little bit on yep. a lot of these things because you're really, he's, he's forcing us to watch Will's reactions and how, how Will is taking this in
6: feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you who could rescue you from the depths of hell. And you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel to have that love for her be there forever through anything, through cancer,
4: through cancer.
2: It makes me almost cry. Just, just saying those words Mm -hmm. and thinking about that moment, because that's the turn. That's what will got wrong when he said, Oh, she, you know, she, did she sleep with somebody else? No, through anything through cancer.
4: Well, and I can only imagine that speaks to you, John. I mean, that, that, Oh yeah. It's, it's got to, I mean,
3: yeah. And the dedication, you know, that my mom had for my dad during that whole process was incredible, you know, and you saw that and, um, you know, you saw the effect on both, to be honest with you. Um, and it's not all sunshine and rainbows either, but those are the things that it's the love that keeps you around. It's the love that keeps you committed to, you know, taking care of that person, you know, genuinely.
2: I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it till you just said that but yeah the karen just mentioned the it's those little things like in the joke shop and the the, mm. the kiss with the burger that that's what love is and you just said it's the showing up when things are really through cancer it's those things that's what love is and that and the fact that these two scenes are back to back yeah 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 you know good that 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 the, the the joke shop is the beginning yeah and now Robin's telling you about the hard stuff.
3: Yeah, kind of like a foreshadowing of what might be coming here.
2: And he's, and he's saying they're both love, that that's yeah. love.
3: And you wouldn't know about sleeping sitting up
6: in a hospital room for two months holding her hand because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms
4: visiting hours don't apply to you. That line has always stuck with me. It's true.
3: We spent many nights in the hospital with my dad, yeah. you know, sitting on the chair or whatever. It's, it's there.
2: You know. I could feel that chair. I know, I, you know what I mean? Like, I know what yeah. sitting in that chair feels like. Yeah, I'm sure. The, Robin, yeah. Um, the amazing thing to me about Robin Williams is that my early experience with Robin Williams was this huge <laughs> personality, loud and fast talking and funny and aggressive and different voices and all this stuff. And the fact that he can pare down to the softest, simplest, most honest delivery is amazing. I think there's great – with great comedians, there is that
3: element to them, the drama, that they can do it. Like Monique, what she did in Precious um, Hmm. and what we're seeing now with Bill Burr, this reinvention of Bill Burr as a kind of dramatic actor. We've seen him in a couple of things now. I mean he was great in the – King of Staten Island. I thought he was damn good in that, and the Reservation Dogs appearance that he did, and you know, so we're seeing. There's even moments in the second appearance in The Mandalorian when he comes in that there's some real emotion behind it, and I have a feeling that there's a really great dramatic performance that could come out of Leslie Jones. You know, mm. there, there's a real for all the, and she's hilarious, but there's oh, yeah. something there. Look what we're seeing: Bill Hader and Barry. So there, there's. The great ones have that gear. They have that gear they can go to. You know, Eddie and Dream Girls, it's there. And so well, and even Bob,
4: I mean, it's so nice to see. We've talked about this a little bit, Steve and I, John, but um, our friend Brendan Hunt from Ted Lasso. Like oh, right, yeah. my first experience, all of my knowledge to Brent of Brendan prior to Ted Lasso mm-hmm. was when he would come in and audition for me. And he was always that crazy wild manic like I would bring him in for anything that was over the top crazy wild and I loved him for it because he was just brilliant in that and I thought that that was just what he was and I wouldn't I probably wouldn't have brought him in for something smaller and then Ted Lasso happens yeah and I started watching that show and I, I reached out to him and I was like what Oh, I, I don't even know what to say to you. I'm like, I had no idea he had that gear. That Coach Beard gear is so small and so subtle and so quiet and so beautiful. And I had no idea that Brendan had that in him. And now I've watched him for two seasons just killing it doing that, that I find it hard to remember him in those big things from from earlier on. But I love knowing that he has both of those gears. And I love it when... When actors get a chance to show that other side of them that, you know, you know, like just like um, uh, Brian Cranston right. going from Malcolm in the Middle to Breaking Bad. Like that was one of the greatest transitions ever, yep. I think, of, of, a, of an actor blowing my mind, of showing me a complete like like an, a casting director trusting them to do something or a director trusting them to do something and going, I'm so glad that they did that. I'm so glad that that opportunity happened. Yeah.
2: And then he said, and in some ways, maybe this is the line of the movie, although there are a lot of lines like that.
6: You don't know about real loss, because it only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Will dissected him with the painting a couple of scenes earlier, and now he's doing the same thing. I look at you. I don't see an intelligent,
6: confident man. I see a cocky, scared, shitless kid.
2: But I love the gentleness of the next part.
6: But you're a genius, Will. No one denies that. No one could possibly understand the depths of you. But you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine, you ripped my fucking life apart.
2: So he's not saying you didn't hurt me. Right. He's not saying you didn't see truth. Right. That's what I mean by strength through vulnerability.
4: Yeah, he's he's teaching him that there was a different way he could have handled that situation.
2: Yeah. You're an orphan, right? And you can see Will looks down at that moment. Because now you see he's getting into where Will's pain is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think I would know the first thing
6: about how hard your life has been? How you feel? Who you are? Because
2: I read all of the twist. Man, if you want a pitch from a therapist... To get a gig. I don't know if they say things like this on our wonderful sponsors better help. But <laughs> yeah. if the therapist says to you Personally,
6: I don't give a shit about all that, because you know what? I can't learn anything from you. I can't read in some fucking book. Unless you want to talk about you, who you are, then I'm fascinated. I'm in.
4: That just uh, that that moment. If I was Will, I was I'd be I'd be all in at that moment. <laughs> that works on me.
2: <laughs> but it's scary, too, which is what Sean says next. But you don't want to do that, do you, sport? You're terrified of what you might say. He stands up and says, You
6: move, chief.
4: I love how many of his little things, like the the sport, the chief, the, like, the the. it's a great character choice. And I don't know if those were in the script or whether that was Robin Williams, but I love, there, there's just something about that that gives me insight into Sean's character. Absolutely. I don't know about you guys, but like when someone uses a, not my name, but uses a different way to refer to me, sometimes it's great and it pulls me in. And sometimes it's very off-putting and pulls me out. And I Mm. think the way that it's used by this character in this, in this movie, I think it, it really works for him.
2: I think you're making a great point sport. (laughs) (laughs) There's, I remember my very first playwriting class talked about repetition and transformation and the movie opened with chucky showing up to pick up will and now we're back repetition chucky is walking up to the house with coffee knocks on the screen waits will comes out yeah. takes the coffee and they drive away repetition and we're heading to transformation it's pouring rain and will calls skyler she answers hello he doesn't say anything hello she says and this is a point you made karen in your our last episode professor
1: Belen, are you calling me again
2: I mean, you said that all students would have that professor. Yeah. Apparently Skylar, all female students, I guess. And apparently Skylar does too. Yeah,
4: I wouldn't be surprised if there are some male students that have that professor too. What?
2: Who did
1: you call? No, and I forgot the number.
2: Does anyone believe that Will Hunting has ever forgotten a phone number?
4: <laughs> yeah. Nope.
2: He's in Sean's office. He's sitting in the chair. And we sit. And we sit. And we sit. whole hour goes by. What do you mean I didn't talk? You were
6: in there for an hour. I just sat there counting the seconds until the session was over. It's pretty impressive, actually. <laughs> is this some kind of staring contest between two kids from the old neighborhood? Yeah, it is. And I can't talk first.
2: We're back at MIT. We've got another, a new math professor who's saying that this, whatever they're doing, of course, we don't understand what any of the hell this is, won't work. And then Will just puts another sheet on the overhead projector. Look, look, I wrote it down. It's simpler this way. And just the look of crumpling defeat on this professor.
4: And then Tom shows up, right? Trying to comfort him. Sometimes people get lucky.
2: You're a brilliant man. Okay, now I do have to talk about Tom. I was like, (laughs) I don't want to have five, six lines in the whole movie. And he manages to create such a character for himself.
4: I love Tom. I love Tom. And I love Tom, especially in that moment. Because he he is being exactly what Tom needs to be. (laughs) In that
3: moment, also the way there's a you know, Van Sant brings him to life in the movie as well by giving him some close ups, right? that shot there with the professor. Good point. Um, and then also earlier when he's rubbing Will's hair, we cut to Tom sitting there, and Tom does an eye roll, you know, because
2: he's jealous in a weird, petty, kind of dude-figure-this-shit-out kind of way. Like, it's (laughs) weird, you know? Well, I think, to some degree, people treat other people the way they wish that they were treated. Mm. And I think Tom has been there for fucking Professor Lambeau from the beginning. Well, he doesn't respect Tom. Well, well, this is what's so sad. He doesn't even see Tom. No, right. Tom is just a person he can use. Right. You know, who's convenient, who worships him, and now this guy, Tom just gives the love to this other professor that he wishes that he had. He wished Lambeau would say to he wants his hair ruffled. I mean, he doesn't have yeah. much, you know? Yeah. And,
3: you know, we didn't mention this, but this is also like, Jerry's not an easy guy to like. No. And um, we didn't mention this, but when Will is walking out of the session with George Plimpton, Jerry is once again regaling some young female student with the idea of the, uh, what was it, the, breaking down a theory is like a symphony, right? Right. And some young dude who was off screen says something like it's almost like a foreplay or whatever. Yeah. Or oh, and he, yeah. he's too obvious about it. And Jerry gives him a death stare for interrupting him as he's trying to seduce this young female co in that moment. Yep. Uh, and so that, you know, the guy is not... And, and as you said in the first part, this is something Stellan wanted to put in the character. And so the fact that he is like trying to force a father-son relationship with Will at the expense of Tom, without even seeing Tom, as you said, Steve, speaks volumes about the kind of human being he actually is and how this motherfucker needs therapy more than anybody else in the movie.
2: (laughs) Um, I also, by the way, I'm I'm kind of fascinated by your names and one of the things I've struggled with in talking about this is whether or not to call him Gerald, (laughs) Professor Lambeau, or Jerry. And I think There is a big, like the guy that stood up in front of the MIT class and made that speech. That's Professor Lambeau. This is supremely confident, arrogant, you know, has his own style and thing guy. The guy we're going to see later on with Sean, that's Jerry. Yeah. You know, and he doesn't want to be Jerry. He wants to be Professor Lambeau, Fields Medal winner, you know. So we're back with the staring contest with Sean and Will. Sean even starts to fall asleep. And right as he starts to fall asleep, Will just starts talking.
5: I was on this plane once and I'm sitting there and uh, Captain gets on. He does this whole, you know, we'll be cruising at 35,000 feet. But then he puts the mic down. He forgets to turn it off.
4: That is clearly he was waiting for him to fall asleep.
5: And so he turns to the copilot. He's like, you know, all I could use right now is a fucking blowjob and a cup of coffee. So the stewardess fucking goes bombing up from the back of the plane to tell him that the microphone's still on the sky in the back of the plane. plane's like, hey, hun, do don't forget the coffee.
2: <laughs> Sean laughs at the joke and says, you ever been on a plane? No, but it's a fucking joke. It works better if I tell it in the first person. Yeah, it does. One of the interesting things, by the way, that I heard in the commentary track is that in general, Matt and Ben, one or two takes, maybe three. Robin was at least six or seven takes mm-hmm. because he's a, he's a super perfectionist. and wanted to keep trying different stuff right you know and he would try different lines he would try different line readings different approaches and Gus Van Sant basically had to repeatedly go I got it we've we've done enough because Robin wouldn't want to move on and then you could tell that Will has been thinking this thought for weeks since that scene on the bench and says
5: I have been late
2: (laughs) you (laughs) know big time big time (laughs) big time huh Um, And he talks about that he had gone on a date, but he hasn't called her. And he says, Christ, you're an amateur. This girl's like fucking perfect right now. I don't want to
5: ruin that. Maybe you're perfect right now.
2: Maybe you don't want to ruin that. (laughs) Sean cutting through his bullshit is just great. Yeah. And then he says, in this line, we'll come back to haunt him. But I think that's a super philosophy.
6: Well, that way you can go through your entire life without ever having to really know anybody.
2: And there's a pause. And then he says... My wife used to fart when she was nervous. (laughs) So some of this is in the script and a big part of this is Robin. Of course. Improvising. Of course it is.
4: (laughs) Yeah. I read that a lot of that
2: is. (laughs) Can you imagine sitting on a, in a room with Robin Williams improvising directly at you? (laughs) So those shots of Matt Damon laughing, that's Matt Damon laughing. Yeah. Robin Williams, whatever he was saying. And apparently people were like crew members were running out of the room so they didn't laugh and ruin takes ben affleck was ben affleck was mostly on the set for everything and kevin smith was on the set for some of this stuff a lot of this stuff um it's all over just because it was like you get a private robin williams show (laughs) one night it was so loud it
6: woke the dog up (laughs) She woke up and go like, oh, is that you? See, I didn't have the
4: heart to tell. Her. <laughs> oh, God. She, she woke herself up. Yes. If Robin Williams is going to improvise and I'm in any way involved with the production, I want to be on set there watching that. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean.
6: It's Wonderful stuff, you know, little things like that. Yeah, but those are the things I miss the most. The little idiosyncrasies that only I knew about. That's what made her my wife. And she had the goods on me too. she knew all my little peccadillos.
4: That is one of my favorite words, and I'm so glad that Sean uses that word, especially describing his wife because it just it's it's such a non-used word by most people, and it's a word that I love and I use all the time uh, because I just feel like it it encapsulates a lot.
2: I think this next line, it says a lot about relationships that we never talk about. People
6: call these things imperfections. But they're not. Oh, that's the good stuff. And then we
2: get to choose who we let into our weird little worlds. I remember when Karen and I first moved in together. Mm. And you start to see weird stuff that you do because somebody else.
4: someone else's eyes.
2: Yeah, (laughs) because someone else has seen it for the first time. (laughs) Like, oh, that is kind of weird. Or see the weird stuff that they do. You're not perfect, sport.
6: Let me save you the suspense. This girl you met, she isn't perfect either. But the question is whether or not you're perfect for each other.
4: And it's not just marriage, too. It's it's friendships, too. When you start to see, you know, when you're when you're spend a lot of time with one person, and you just start to really see them in their moments, you know, when they let you in.
6: Now you can know everything in the world, sport, but the only way you're finding out that one is by giving it a shot. You certainly won't learn from an old fucker like me. Even if I did know, I wouldn't tell a piss aunt
5: like you. Now, why not? You told me every other fucking thing. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Fucking talk more than any shrink I've ever seen in my life, I teach this shit. I didn't say I know how to do it. <laughs> and you can see, like,
3: he likes Sean, you know? Yeah, the walls are coming down. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I mean, because that's, it's that ability to joke with each other and be that almost mean to each other <laughs> that shows how much they trust each other, you know?
3: And then... Yeah. East Coast, that's East Coast ball busting.
4: Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah.
2: So, Will's next line is... You ever think about getting remarried? My wife's dead. My question for both of you is, is that a friendly, curious question or an opening to an attack? I don't know. That's a great question. Um, I'd have to rewatch the scene and watch his face
3: and where Van Sant... Like, how long he drags out the looks between them to see what's going on. But I guess my initial reaction would be... I think he's just trying to make conversation um, because, as you said, he's kind of put the walls down a little bit. But he did call him a pissant. So maybe Will is feeling a little more comfortable, uh, as Karen pointed out, the banter between them. So he thinks he can ask about this and get to know him a little bit more. And uh, the reaction there from from Sean is pretty strong. You
4: know, I, I don't think it's actually either. I think it's more um, Will trying to learn to see if he can get even deeper into learning about Sean Mm. because I think he knows the answer and I think he knows the answer is going to be my wife is dead. I think he knows that that is going to be the answer. And I think he wants him to say it. And I think he wants him to know that he sees that. Like, I feel like there's almost a, a moment between them where he's, he's saying he's asking him this question, knowing the answer he's going to get so that they can have that just known between them that, that he gets Mm. More of the wife thing now. A few, you know, a few sessions later, he's starting to understand more about what that relationship was. Because I think he's showing him that he's starting to understand the relationship stuff that he's teaching him about how he has to be all in with Skylar to see if it's going to work. That you have to be in the relationship to know if it's if your things work with each other. Yeah, because um, those um, are the lessons he's ta- telling him. So I think that's him kind of leaning into that.
2: My feeling and is that. It is a friendly conversation line that Mm. it isn't it isn't meant to to probe for weakness. Right. But when uh, Robin comes back with she's dead, he sees weakness and he can't stop himself.
3: Yeah.
5: Well, I think that's a super philosophy, Sean. I mean, that way you could actually go through the rest of your life without ever really knowing anybody.
2: Sean says. Time's up. You'll also notice Will is reluctant to get up and leave. Yeah. We're back at Harvard. We're at a dorm, uh, and Will does the classic hold the door and can get, you know, the security's not that tight. He's walking through the hallway and finds Skylar practicing her piano and singing. Hello. Hey. Where have you been? I'm sorry, you know, I I blew it. And he wants another date. But she's got homework to do. It's some, you know, organic chemistry, hard stuff.
1: I've got to assign the proton spectrum for ebogamine. Although it sounds really, really interesting, (laughs) it's actually fantastically boring.
2: And he heads off, and then we see him on the back of a napkin, we know, doing her homework. <laughs> Who the fuck did you get this? Because I don't think she could even conceive of the fact that he just did it yeah. at this moment. I had to sleep with someone in your class.
1: Oh, I hope it was someone with the open toe sandals and the really bad breath.
3: I want to ask Karen this real quick. <laughs> when he, sh- I mean, when you're starting out dating somebody, the last thing you want them to do, I would imagine, and I'm going to throw this out there because you're, you're the, the female on our crew here, like a guy showing up at your door and you're not like, you know, prepared or dressed or anything because you want to impress. And you see her like yank her, you know, yank her um robe over her shoulder. She pulls the pen out of her ear. So you see it and she even wipes her hair out of her. So is, is – are those little like acting choices by Minnie to show how Skylar might react in this moment because he hasn't called her and all of a sudden he's showing up at her door. All these days later, so she feels a little bit like caught by surprise, so to speak,
4: yeah, I mean i it's you know been a long time, but my guess <laughs> is, um what she's feeling in that moment is that double whammy of of oh, he is back right where where did he go? He's back, oh, that's great that he's back, oh shit, he's back when I look like this, and I'm here, and I wasn't prepared and and so there's probably that yay, ah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> But I think the great thing about her character is that I feel like there's enough self-awareness in her that she knows that whatever little things that she's picking at on herself because she feels self-conscious is not something that he's going to pay attention to. I think that's more just about her feeling um, comfortable in her own skin because that's, you know, as we all know, um, so much of attraction is about confidence. It's not what yeah. you actually look like or anything. It's how you feel in your own body in that moment. And so she probably was picking at her her appearance because she just wasn't feeling great. But then that starts to go away because the, moment, the momentary realization that he is there, he came back, right. does boost the confidence. And so it kind of outweighs whatever undermining of her own situation that she was doing to herself before she realized that we cut to
2: an excellent dating spot, the dog race. Hey, apparently they did go to the real races and mini driver really did make a bet on the dog and it really did win.
4: That's (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you remember this story, Steve, but when I was, when I was in school in Boston, um, there was one, um, acting class where we did these, um, these lines, um, empty scenes, yeah, yeah the things, empty yeah. scenes. John, do you, did you ever do these? Um, they called them like review sketches, and they were just scenes. They were like a page and a half of innocuous dialogue that said nothing in particular. It had no
2: no context. There was, yeah, there was oh, no context. Was it was all lines. it was. It
4: was just random lines oh, that could happen in any situation, and you had to. <laughs> imbue it with, you know, you'd, you'd had to, you, you, you would come up with your, you and your partner right. would come up with your situation of what your review sketch was about. Right. And one of my partners and I um, got on the tee and went to the dog track and we did our review sketches on the tee back and forth and we we, we we made their whole thing based on a trip to the dog races in Boston. So when I saw that scene, it just, it, it, it touched my heart because it oh. brought me back to my college days. <laughs> Dog and racing is crazy. It's funny and interesting and weird and similar and totally different from horse racing in a very strange way.
2: And to be clear, those dogs are fast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As she says, glowing from her wind, she starts to ask some personal questions.
1: So, did you grow up around here then? Not far south, Boston. And what was that like then? Just,
2: you know, normal,
5: I guess. Nothing special.
3: Does she know he's lying? I don't think she knows she's lying until the the brothers thing. I think that's where she, for, you know, starts to kind of log some red flags in her mind. Like, this is odd.
4: My guess is she hasn't, uh like, that she certainly isn't necessarily going to take his first answer as being ah, yeah. the truth. I mean, I think she knows him enough at this moment to just yeah. go, okay.
1: Do you got a lot of brothers and sisters? I have a
5: lot of brothers and sisters? That's what I said. Irish Catholic, what do you think?
2: <laughs> right. and this is the thing about lying if you're gonna lie don't make big lies yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> make what? lies that are close to the truth yeah, but 12? if you're
4: will if you're will you want to make the big lies because it's a, so. test. It's, a, it's, a, it's a test to himself can i do this can i pull it off and <laughs>
2: his lie is that he has 12 big brothers he's lucky number 13 and she's suspicious ask for their names and Will's a genius. Yeah. So he lists
5: all the names. Maki, Ricky, Danny, Terry, Mikey, Davy, Timmy, Tommy, Joey, Robbie, Johnny, and Brian.
2: And she says, say it again, lists all the same names in the same order.
5: Maki, Ricky, Danny, Terry, Mikey, Davy, Timmy, Tommy, Joey, Robbie, Johnny, and Brian. Do
2: you still see all
1: of
5: them? Yeah, well, they all live in Southie. I'm, I'm living with three of them right now. Oh,
1: yeah?
2: Yeah. It's so funny, like the uh, romantic comedy sometimes works. Whenever there's a lie in a movie, you, it, it plants dread. Mm -hmm. in the audience (laughs) because you know the lie is going to get blown at some point right do you still uh, do you still counsel veterans no I don't why not well
5: I gave it up when my wife got sick
2: and then Will asks in the last scene he asks do you think about remarrying in this one he asks do you ever wonder what your life would be like if you uh if you never met your wife
6: wonder if I'd be better
5: off without her no 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 I'm not saying like better off I didn't mean it it's all right. uh, it's an important question
2: I think that's such an important line because that is Will caring about Sean's feelings, You're right?
4: And purposefully, blatantly showing him that he cares about his yeah. feelings.
2: Like he's saying, he's, "I'm not
4: trying to." He's use saying, this "I am mentality. not fucking with you right now." Yeah, you think I might be? That's not what's going on.
6: Well, I got regrets, Will, but I don't regret a single day I spent with her. So, when did you know like, that she was the one for you? This whole sequence is great. <laughs> It's so much fun. October 21st, 1975. Jesus Christ, you know the fucking day? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because it's game six of the World Series. Biggest game in Red Sox history? Yeah, sure. My friends and I had slept out on the sidewalk all night to get tickets.
2: You got tickets? And you could tell, by the way, that Sean has told this story before. And what he does that's so interesting the way he tells the story is he has them get the tickets. He has them walk into this bar. He has them see the girl. And then he skips ahead in time to the home run and doesn't say that he's not at the game. And now he tells the story of Carlton Fisk, old Pudge, hitting this home run. He clocks it, you know.
6: High five on the left field line. 35,000 people on their feet. Yelling at the ball, but that's not because Fisk, he's waving at the ball like a madman. Get over! Get
4: over! Get over!
2: Apparently this footage was very hard to get. they, They had to really push the Red Sox to get the actual footage of the game. Wow. Really? Which is funny because I think it's like, why wouldn't you want this in this movie? Right, right. Yeah. And of course, Will's seen this game, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Seen the highlights and probably heard about it from a number of people yeah. in Boston. Yeah. And I love how we're intercutting with the game with Sean telling the story, but he and Will are acting out the story too. They're both so excited and involved. And
6: then it hits a foul pole. Oh, he
0: goes that shit,
6: and thirty-five thousand fans. You know, they charge the field. You know, yeah, and he's fucking oh, no. he's like, he's Get
4: on the get away, get, away, get away! There was something I read that said that Sean's like office was even set up with like four chairs that were like the bases, and there were oh. people in the center that was kind of like the pitcher's mound, and that they were circling around it. And I didn't have time to go back and and watch it after I read that, but I thought now I kind of want to look at that scene again and see if they're actually acting it out with you know with bases and everything. <laughs>
5: Did you rush the field? No, I didn't
2: rush the fucking field. I wasn't there. What? No, I was in a bar having a drink with my future wife. And now <laughs> I love that Will is upset. Not only is he upset with Sean for missing this game. God, and who are these fucking friends of yours? They let you get away with that? Oh, they had to. What, what did you say to him?
6: I just slid my ticket across the table and I said, sorry,
3: guys. I got to see about a girl. The question answers itself because that's the kind of friend Sean would have. Yeah. Oh, yeah they would understand because they know who sean is they would understand that sean would give up the ticket plus again <laughs> as you see at the button of the scene you, i didn't know pudge was gonna knock <laughs> it out of there. you know it's and, you know it, it's a world series game and maybe the reds were dragging their feet on giving the footage because they lose the next game and lose the right. world series to the reds in 1975 right. so but this is a very famous home run and so it's it was great to see it pop up in the film and the description of it all. And that's the level that he's talking about. Like I missed out on something like this, but as he's about to tell us, it would have been worse to miss out on yeah. what I, the life I had with her.
4: As Steve Morris has told me for all the time that I've known him, it, you know, it makes for a really good story. It makes for a better story that he wasn't at the game.
2: Yeah. That's oh, her. absolutely. Um, I, by the way, I'm sure that I would, the odds of me doing what Sean did are <laughs> incredibly slim, But John, I could totally see you going, I got to see about a girl.
4: Yeah, I I totally see that too. (laughs) I mean, look, yeah, probably. (laughs) I I mean, totally see that being you.
2: But I'm
3: I'm also very thankful that I have a girlfriend who understands my love of sports and shares it at least with one team um, and is cool. Like when I sit here and watch uh, NFL on Sundays, she's watching RuPaul. So we have our balance. We have our balance. (laughs) That's what it's all about. But I would totally slide the ticket across. If it was the right person, for sure. Look, I'm here in San Diego because, you know, I left my friends, basically. Because like,
2: you had to go see about a girl. You had to see about
4: a girl. You had to see yeah. about a girl.
3: That's why I'm not talking right now about some girl I saw at about 20 years ago
2: and how I always regretted not going over and talking to her. John, there's always an echo in that line. And if I ever met Matt and Ben, I would love to ask them if they were thinking about Bernstein and the ferry to New, from New Jersey. Oh, yeah,
3: in Citizen Kane.
2: Yes, because right. that's him talking about the girl he saw 20 years, not a day goes by I haven't thought about seeing about that girl. Uh, there are a lot of things you'd think an old guy would. Yeah. But, yeah.
6: I don't regret the 18 years I was married to Nancy. I don't regret the six years I had to give up counseling when she got sick. And I don't regret the last years when she got really sick. And I sure as hell don't regret missing a damn game.
2: The fact that they have this just heartfelt and moving thing. And John, as you said, <laughs> that the button on the scene is. Would have been nice to catch that game, though i just going to hit a home run. <laughs> they're dudes, man. They're dudes. So, you know, you respect
3: it, but you also got to say, you know, but yeah, you missed out on something pretty great. So. Yeah.
2: The next scene is um, him and Skylar in bed. I love the way Gus Van Sant shoots this kind of love scene. Mm-hmm. The camera is really, really close to them. We've got another Elliott Smith song between the bars playing, and it's really just looking at Skylar. And she's talking about how she should be in the NBA.
3: It's great. It's so, <laughs> she's so cute talking about this shit. Dunk, dunk. I mean, it's hilarious. as <laughs> if very that's t- how basketball t- <laughs> works. Dunk,
4: dunk. I just, I just love, like you said, the, the, the shots, like it's yeah. so, you feel like you're right in there with them. Like you, mm-hmm. you there's no, there's no separation between the audience and them in this, this moment. So this, this deeply personal moment between the two of them is, is almost part of your life because you're so close up on their faces and watching it all. And it's, I can't, I can't say enough how I don't normally pick up on a lot of shot things like that. But that one, I was like, yeah, that was really, really a, a great choice. It's
3: very 90s. It's like wide sargasso C and these other films that came out in the 90s. They, they did these shots where people like the, the cameras was on top of their backs, you know, sex, lies and videotape, those kind of things. Yeah. But what's also great as as the director of Van Sant here in the construction, right, we're getting enough time with Will. We've, we've got to fall in love as an audience with Skyler. Yes. So him keeping the camera where Will is below camera length and God knows what he's doing there. But (laughs) we're focused on Skylar and her face and her messing with the eight ball and her talking about her. She's all about the three points. All of that is there um, so that we can fall in love with her. We can feel she's cute. We can feel that. Damn, you know, I wish that was me. You know, it's so smart in how that's constructed. And Will only occasionally pops up to have the back and forth with her about. Um, the brothers and that they stay there all the time and, and and that is a total thing where she would question like why are we always at your place that absolutely is a thing or our place rather yeah is it me
1: you're hiding from them or the other way around all right we'll go when i
6: don't know we'll go sometime next week
1: what if i said i would not sleep with you again until you let me meet your friends
2: <laughs> and there's pause And he says, it's like 4.30 in the morning. They're probably up." Oh, my God.
1: Men are shameless. If you're not thinking with your wiener, then you're acting directly on its behalf. You bet. (laughs) On behalf of my
5: wiener, can I get, like, an advance payment? No, that's (laughs) off.
2: Yes. By the way, Ben's voice answering the phone, saying, what do you want? That is from the joke that he tells later in the next scene. That's just lifted from that how funny yeah wow um and then we're back to the nba stuff with hook hook, dunk dunk um it's
3: beautifully and i love at the end of the tail end of that back and forth she calls him out because he's making a baseball reference and she goes don't mess up your sports references don't combine the sports references." (laughs) that's genius i I don't know
2: how much of this mini actually understood but i thought it was genius you know um and then we cut to she's come out and she's with the guys in South Boston. And first Casey is telling a story. And then Ben Affleck gets to tell this story, which is like a classic, apparently South, like everybody tells this story about their as if it was their uncle that it (laughs) happened to. And Ben had heard this story a million times, was super excited to tell it. And what they did was they did some takes where Ben just told the story. And then Gus Van Sant, after they had done those takes said to Casey, keep interrupting him. Don't let him tell the story. And then those two takes are intercut so that he can have the clean version and he can have Ben getting irritated and with all the interruptions. Right. And the story, if you want to hear what it is, go watch the movie. I would pick it up at (laughs) (laughs) cinephiles.net. It's worth your time. So he finishes the story, gets a big laugh, and then Skylar says... Morgan, let's
1: see if you can get this one. I've got a little
4: story for you. (laughs) She sings in this... Moment
0: yeah.
4: in a way that I don't think any of us ever expected Skylar to um, to come out swinging in the way that she does, and and she gets a fucking home run.
3: <laughs> she's one of the guys in this moment telling yeah. the story. She's not trying to fit in; she's having fun. And look, the Casey Affleck, Ben Affleck, back and forth about the story with Cole Hauser trying to, you know, calm down. Casey's almost like a dog, and Cole is trying yeah. to be like, "Stop it, stop it!" You know, he's trying to calm him down. And the back and forth is so great and natural. So that when she tells her story, it's uninterrupted, it really carries more weight and more power, and you're focused on it more to hit that ending. And
2: the ending yeah. is so great. Even Casey's like, oh,
3: I've heard, I've heard dirtier.
2: I've heard dirtier. <laughs> what I love, and Karen, you sort of touched on this, is she's not trying to pretend that she's anything that she's not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She's not like trying to act like them. Yeah. She's not hiding that she comes from wealth, but she is also.
4: One hundred percent comfortable in this environment with
2: these yeah. guys. Yeah, like she doesn't. She doesn't feel out of place. Yeah,
4: yeah. She, because, body humor does not bother her in the least, and <laughs> she is happy to throw down.
2: Well, and a nervous person would never tell this joke. Right. You know, right? right yeah. Right. Um, and I don't know if we should play it or not. I think her performance is just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> How can it not? I feel like you have to.
1: There's an old couple in bed, Mary and Paddy. And they wake up on the morning of their 50th anniversary. And Mary looks over and gazes adoringly at Paddy. She's like, oh, Jesus, Paddy. You're such a good-looking
0: fellow. I love you.
2: What I love, too, by the way, this is how this happened, is that this part wasn't written for someone from England. Mm, so right, right. Matt and Ben told Skylar or told Minnie this joke as an American version of the joke. Right. And then she transformed it into the british version of the joke
0: oh gee patty i want to give you a little pheasant anything your little heart
1: desires i'm going to give it to you
3: her irish is incredible of course yeah. she had just done circle of friends a couple like, right. a couple of years before this film but like her irish is fantastic she's london born she was raised in barbados her mom i think is or dad i think is part scottish so like there's no irish necessarily here but her irish is fucking on point man
4: the accent. And it's not, it's not an easy accent. No. no.
1: God, Mary. married. That's a very sweet offer. Now, in 50 years, there's one thing that's been missing. And uh, I would like you to give me a blowjob.
2: The reaction that goes around with the friends yeah. is perfect because they go, oh, she's telling a dirty joke. Mm hmm. And then you <laughs> would get to, yeah, after the blowjob, you know, she <laughs> takes her teeth out and puts them in a glass and gives them a blowjob.
0: Now that's what I've been missing. That was the most beautiful, earth-shattering thing ever. Beautiful, Mary, I love you. Is there anything that I can do for you?
2: And this is a visual gag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we have to describe that right before she finishes this joke, she takes a sip of her beer and with beer pouring out of her mouth says...
1: Do it, Mr. Oh, oh
2: my
3: god
2: uh fantastic i love that she's drinking
3: guinness too That's
2: yeah really great uh and then we're heading out of the bar and there's some discussion about who's giving who a ride home and where are they going yeah and he wants chucky to take him back to harvard
1: hey okay. wait a minute you said we we're gonna see your place
2: no, not tonight. Oh, no, not
1: tonight. Not any other night, hon. He knows once you see that little shithole, he's getting dropped like a bad habit.
2: And then she says...
1: Fuck wants to meet your brothers.
2: And watch Ben Affleck. Complete
3: change of face. Yep. Uh, because he knows that he's been ball-busting and thinking that maybe he's told her the truth. But when she says the brother's thing, they both change. Because Will goes, give me the keys. There's no playful joke or anything. And Ben is just like, Taken aback for a second. And he's almost like, Are you gonna fuck this up too, man? What's yep you, you're lying But he does, but he does back his play,
4: yeah. you know. He yeah. does back his play.
3: He does, yeah. He so. He's a boy. You gotta back his play, but
2: but yeah, yeah. you can also be like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? You know, well, it's it's exactly what you brought up before, John, of watching your friend repeatedly fuck up. Yes, you know, yes. We're at an Irish bar, and now Sean. Uh, is telling the same stewardess story the joke um that will told which i love that he didn't laugh that much when will told it but inside he's going oh this is a good joke i gotta use this sometime (laughs) and then in comes jerry and you know he says introduces him to this bartender no wait a minute we're
3: not gonna go past the um fisherman guy sitting on the edge of the bar are we like that was that's a great genius move by van sant to give that feeling of boston irish color yeah when he's like oh
2: shit you didn't say that for christ's sake buddy. it's a joke man.
3: i love that because every bar has that one fucking angry motherfucker at the end of the bar Who's always doing some weird shit? So I love that he threw that little moment in to give more authenticity
2: to the film. You know, in comes Jerry, and it's obvious, by the way, that this is Sean's world. These are people that he knows really, really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I get your
6: beer? Um, no, just a Perrier. It's French for club soda. Club soda, yeah, yeah. yeah. A couple of sandwiches too. Sure. Put it
0: on my tab. You have a plan on paying your tab?
6: Yeah, Chief. Got the winning lottery ticket right here
2: which is only a thing you do when you just know the guy, know the place. When that's that's your
4: bar. (laughs) Yeah. Have you
6: talked to him at all about his
4: future?
2: No,
6: we haven't gotten into that yet. We're still banging away at the past.
2: And what we hear is that there's these job offers coming along. It's great that they are
6: offers, but I I don't really think he's ready for that. I'm not sure you understand, Sean.
2: And then Jerry makes this move.
6: Tim, can you help us? We're trying to settle a bet. Uh-oh.
5: You ever heard of Jonas Salk?
1: Sure. Cure polio.
6: You've heard of Albert Einstein? <laughs> How about
2: Gerald Lambeau? Ever heard of him? No. Thank you, Tim. So who won the bet? I did. Jerry's subtle, maybe not so subtle, classist condescension oh, yeah. Yeah. towards Tim is really irritating yeah. and well done. Yeah. Because he basically used him as a prop. Yeah. He did, you know? as he uses most people in his life yeah. as a problem. And, but his po- the point he thinks he's making is that this isn't about him. Yeah. That this is just about that. He, I just care about the kid. Whether or not that's true is a different question. And what he does is make a, co- a, a comparison to Einstein, this genius who was an unknown you know, Swiss patent Kirk who changed the world. Can you imagine if Einstein would have given that up just to get drunk with his buddies in Vienna every night?
5: We all would have lost something.
6: Pretty dramatic, Jerry.
5: No, it isn't, Sean. This boy
2: has that gift. How much do you believe Jerry's motivations in this scene? Which part of his motivations? Can you be specific? He is saying this is about the future of the world, that the world is going to lose out on another Einstein if we don't take care of this kid in the right way and point him in the right direction.
4: I think it's both. I I think it's that, but I also think Jerry wants the glory that comes along with finding someone like that.
3: I don't know. I, I think it's, it's an interesting question you asked because you're asking how much do you believe Jerry's intentions? I think Jerry believes Jerry's intentions. So it's difficult yeah. to <laughs> kind point. of decide if I believe his intentions or not, because I think he does. Cause he's fooled himself that that's um, what he's doing, that he's coming from this, you know, pure place because he's not aware of how he treats people blissfully, by the way, unaware of how he treats people. <laughs> or conveniently unaware. So for him to be conveniently unaware of his ulterior motives in the situation is not out of the realm of possibility. So I think he believes his intentions. I personally think he's not self-aware enough to understand how he is manipulating, as Sean is going to say, manipulating the situation for the kid to in essence kind of validate his faith in him.
4: I like blissfully better than conveniently. I think blissfully (laughs) fits fits him perfectly.
2: You know, what just occurred to me listening to both of you is mm-hmm. that I think Will is not the only person in this movie that needs some therapy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you're I agree with you, John. Mm-hmm. He totally thinks that that's that he has these altruistic motives. But there's so yeah. much weird stuff going on. And so here's the way the scene was supposed to go. Oh, OK. Jerry just said this whole thing about Einstein and changing the world. And then Sean responds with a story about how unhappy Einstein was later in his life. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: That is Uh, what's in the script. Interesting. And on the day, on the set, they'd rehearse that. And then on the day, Robin Williams came up with the idea of Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber.
3: Right. But
2: he didn't know enough information about Ted Kaczynski. So as they're shooting Jerry's side of the scene... Ben Affleck, who had been on set, has to run off and do last-minute research on the Unabomber and runs back to Robin Williams with, here's 15 facts about the Unabomber, and then Robin Williams puts together this speech.
4: Wow. Wow. That's really cool.
2: Wow. Owing to his genius of, the Rob, of Robin Williams. Yes. Yeah.
4: Did, did they write it or was it all just Robin coming up with?
2: Stuff? I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that. Because
4: it, be, it would be interesting to know if they sat down as a team and tried to write something out or whether they just kind of let him go. Because either way, it would be great.
2: But, um, you know. And by the way, Kevin Smith happened to be on set this day and got to witness this whole thing take shape. In the 1960s, there was a young man
6: graduated from University of Michigan. Did some brilliant work in mathematics, specifically bounded harmonic functions. Then he went on to Berkeley, was assistant professor, showed amazing potential. Then he moved to Montana and he blew the competition away. Yes, yeah, so who was he?
4: Ted
2: Kaczynski. I've heard of him. I love. I think it's a brilliant choice that Jerry's never heard of Ted Kaczynski.
4: I know that that's really great. I think too.
2: Hey, Timmy. Yo! Who's Ted Kaczynski? And Terry knows instantly. Beautiful! Yeah, of course. (laughs) And the thing is, Jerry thinks that this is what he's protecting Will from, and Sean thinks that this is what he is protecting Will from.
5: I was doing advanced mathematics when I was when I was eighteen, and it still took me over twenty years to do something worthy of a Fields Medal.
6: Well, maybe he doesn't want what you want. There's more to life than a fucking Fields Medal.
2: It's so hard with this scene because the scene is ostensibly about Will. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but this scene is about Sean and Jerry. Oh, you (laughs) know
3: oh yeah will is the battlefield for both of them and this has been a battle that has been long overdue and years in the making
6: why don't we give him time to figure out what he wants that's a wonderful theory sean it worked wonders for you didn't it
3: yeah it did you arrogant fucking prick personal shot
4: yeah
3: and he takes the personal shot because i think he feels he's losing the intellectual battle with with um sean i think he's always been intimidated by sean because sean has a natural intelligence and street smarts and jerry never did as he says later when he yells at him i remember when you didn't know what side of the bed to piss from with acne on your face and whatever pimple faced kid so sean was already stronger than jerry from their initial meeting and no matter how much jerry has accomplished to sean it doesn't mean anything and that i think irks jerry And so he has to take the low-hanging fruit shot of how Sean's life turned out without factoring in all the things that he suffered with the loss of his wife and walking away from counseling and all of that. And not having the natural desire to need
2: medals and accolades in order to uh, validate his intelligence. I was going to bring this up later, but I actually want to bring it up now, which is Mm. there's a very important question I want to discuss. Which is, (laughs) we know Sean went to Vietnam. Yes. Did Sean go to Vietnam before he was roommates with Jerry or after he was roommates with Jerry? Was he already a veteran coming back from the war when they lived together? Or did he leave to go to the war after that experience?
4: Hmm. Good question.
2: I have a very strong opinion about it.
4: Go ahead,
3: since you have a stronger opinion.
2: (laughs) Uh, I believe he 100% had already served in Vietnam because he's older he's more mature. He has life experience. And then this snot nosed nerdy kid with no social skills, super smart, shows up and just idolizes Sean. That's what I think happened. Mm. And I think Sean was the rock that helped Jerry to get through those first really difficult years. And so I think all that insecurity with Jerry, it all goes back to that. That's what I think.
4: Interesting. I, I never really thought about it before, but my, when I, when I thought about it initially, I, when you asked the question was that it would be after, you know, I don't know, I don't know why, but that, you know, that's just the normal, you know, the thing you'd go to college and then maybe, you know, after, but, but yeah, it's a good point because that does set up the dynamic between them that, that leads a lot to where we're at now.
2: I also want to talk about this idea of, of failure. Yeah. Is Sean a failure? No. Not at all. I don't think he's a failure in any stretch of the imagination.
4: No.
2: Does Jerry see Sean as a failure? I think he has to see uh,
3: Sean as the um, failure in order to validate his situation.
4: I think he sees Sean as wasting his potential.
2: Yeah. Yes, I agree. Um,
4: and I think Sean sees himself a little bit as a failure. On some level. And I think that's part of why he needs to go on his sabbatical and find himself. And hopefully when, you know, when the movie ends and he's off on his thing, maybe, you know, a couple of years from now, he and, and, and Jerry can come back together and maybe fix the scene that we were just talking about and, and get maybe. get some closure between them, because maybe when Sean feels strong again, he can compete with Jerry in the way that they did maybe in college, if, it, if your theory is correct, Steve.
2: I, I got I have two thoughts. The first one is, mm-hmm. is I think Jerry defined success in these very narrow terms, that mm-hmm. success is reaching the top of your profession, whether that's the Fields Medal or whatever it is. And so in his mind, Sean would also reach what he defined as the top of his profession, mm-hmm. which is more like, you know, George Plimpton or someone, you know, someone very wealthy, someone very famous, that's where Jerry's value system is. And I would not I, – I don't think – I would push back a little bit, Karen. I, I wouldn't – I don't think Sean thinks he's a failure. I think Sean thinks he's – Sean knows he's stuck.
4: I, well, I, Sean- I, I, I mean more like, like he sees himself as a failure in Jerry's eyes. Like I think he understands that Jerry sees him as a failure. And I think he feels like he hasn't lived up to his potential, which he hasn't because – he got derailed when his wife got One sick. And so he stopped, yeah, yeah. he stopped doing all the things that meant something to him. I mean, the, obviously the, the working with veterans and all that kind of stuff, that was right. a huge yeah. thing for him. And giving that up was easy, but hard because that was, I think where he was making his place in life. That's where yeah. he was making his, um his, his impact on the world. And so I think this whole thing with Will has been so great for him because it has caused him to go, Into therapy on himself while he's therapizing this kid, which makes him realize his own stuckness and his own needs for to shake things up and to get back out there because he can see, you know, he sees himself sitting there with a bottle, several bottles, many nights, very sad. And he knows that that's not a good place for anyone, especially not a therapist who's trying to help other people. Yeah.
3: Well, I think they just both approach the world in a fundamentally fundamentally different place, right? From a fundamentally... I mean, I don't know Jerry's upbringing, but clearly he's what? Of course, he's Swedish. uh, Yeah. So what was his upbringing like? You know, was it a colder upbringing? Were his parents more distant? Mm -hmm. Was he an introvert? These are these Mm -hmm. things that factor into it. So for him to have human empathy for large numbers of people may not be Jerry's natural, instinctual... Right. Decision. Whereas Sean comes <laughs> off as yeah, as more vulnerable, warm. We don't know if Sean had younger brothers. Did Sean have to take care of his family at some point? Did Sean, like, there's all kinds, you know, because people come from Southie. It's not the, the richest place to come from. There, right. there are tough situations. So, we know maybe he having he did- to take. Huh?
4: Sorry, sorry. He did say at one point, right, that he that he took the beatings to protect his mom, right? Right, was right. Fair enough. So it?
3: that's it. So he had a tougher upbringing. So he in that definitely, way, right? he point. definitely
4: was like there. He was protecting at least someone, if not brothers. If definitely his mom, you know?
3: right? So. so there's there's a natural empathy that's built up and to protect people who are who are in a um, how can you don't want to say weaker, but in a situation where they need help or they they're not as able to fight back or whatever. So that gets built up when you have that experience uh, in you so i think that's where why they approach the will situation do completely different philosophies and look totally neither one of them is wrong because uh, jerry says i was pushed that's why i accomplished these things because Mm -hmm. people were hard on me people didn't let me get away with shit and look at all the things that i've accomplished and Sean had a different approach and was uh, had a different situation, and he accomplished certain things as a human being. Yes, that val- that is just as valuable as any Fields Medal or that uh, Jerry has, and I would argue could reap greater benefits as he gets older versus a Fields Medal for Jerry, which later in the film he, you know, scoffs out and tells Sean he can go get it. Oh, he can have it. He can go get yeah. it to him give, and give it to him. So there's the difference there in the philosophies, but neither one of them are wrong necessarily and i would caution people to not think one is wrong over the other it's just that both of them were able to accomplish things because of how they were particularly raised so they're trying to transfer that onto will
4: yeah and it also has to do with um with you know you're talking about upbringing and all that kind of stuff i mean i think steve would agree with me on this is that as a parent it's really hard to know when to push and when to pull back yeah and, you know, like there's certain kids like I was pushed by my parents and I reacted well to it. I was I thrived by being pushed. Um, there was there was this need to always excel and do well and put my you know, I mean, I'm, I, I'm an all or nothing kind of person. I don't do anything half assed. I'm just not that way.
2: You use your whole ass.
4: I use my whole ass. <laughs> but Jax, our son. Does not always
2: maybe a quarter ass at best.
4: <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't respond to pushing well at all. I mean, once in a blue moon, if you push him, it works. But nine times out of ten, if you push him, it always backfires. And it's oh, yeah. it's a really difficult because it's all about that interpersonal relationship. Like it's not just about whether the person wants to be pushed, but who's the right, is the right person pushing them. You know, and so there's a there's complications and all of that. And so I think that's what's so cool about the Sean and Jerry thing is that I feel like at a certain point in their lives, they pushed each other really well. Like they were a good force for each other. Yeah. And now maybe not so much.
2: I mean, in a way, these are Will's two fathers or at least yeah. His yeah. father figures, yeah. you know, and and John, as you articulated beautifully, they represent these two. They you know, there's the heart that's Sean and there's the head. You know, and and Will does need both of them.
5: I came here out of courtesy. I I wanted to keep you on the loop. Nice to be in the loop. The boy's in a meeting right now. I set up for him. Hobart
2: McNeil. And of course, we think we're about to see a meeting with Will and some, you know, fancy company or something. And we take a shot of the building and we hear these people say, Well, Will, uh, I'm not exactly sure what you mean. (laughs) We've already offered you a position. This fucking scene is such a great bit of silliness. Classic scene, man. Lots of people wanted it cut out of the movie. They, a bunch of people didn't want them to even shoot it.
4: Yeah. Oh, really?
2: Interesting. Well, because it's not about Will. It's just, it's it's like a showcase for Ben Affleck, who I don't know if he's ever been funnier than he is in this scene. I think you might be right.
4: There, there's something about him in this role that I just love. I feel like he, as he's gotten older, he's gotten more... You know, stuffy serious. and more, you know, serious yeah. and all that comes kind of well, up. In this role, you feel like you're getting, you know, young Ben Affleck who's really just willing to do anything to make people laugh and to and to entertain. You know, it's 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 really fun. Cut to
2: Chucky. Let's take a moment just for his outfit. <laughs> the the oh. shoes and
4: socks. Oh my god.
2: The suit that's a little too small. The hair that's slicked back. It's a weird color. Like it's amazing. Nobody in this town works without a retainer, guys. You think you can
1: find somebody who does? We tell you, you have my blessing. But I think we all know that person's not going to represent you as well as I can.
2: And they say they've offered him $84,000 a year. And he says, Karen, <laughs> retainer. 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 retainer.
4: What's, what's really funny, by the way, is I bet there's a bunch of people in this world that now know what a retainer is only because of this scene. Sure.
2: You want us to give you cash right
4: now.
2: Oh, no, I didn't say that. And there's some beautiful malapropisms, (laughs) to use a big word, Mm. which means using the wrong word. Allegedly, your situation
1: for you would be concurrently improved if I had $200 in my back pocket right now.
4: I just love that he's throwing out random big words that he can think of. You know, whether they make sense or not, he's just like, "What's a big word I can come up with right now?" Yeah.
2: And they scramble to put some money together, and he says, "And I think this has just become part of the vernacular." Let me tell you something. Your suspect. Your
4: suspect. Your suspect.
3: That might have come up in a running charades or in a the game of murder at some point. That might have come up. Your suspect.
4: Your suspect. suspect. <laughs> yes, you have to use that in a game of murder.
3: I don't know what your reputation is in
4: this town,
2: but after the shit you tried to pull today, you can bet I'll be looking into you. They've literally given him some money, and we're totally rooting for Chucky, I think, in the scene. <laughs> of course. And he's kind of walking away. They're totally bewildered, and he says... Now, in the business we have here for, you can speak with my aforementioned
1: attorney. Good day, gentlemen. And until that day
3: comes... Keep your ear to the grindstone.
4: <laughs> I love the ear to the grindstone too. <laughs> it's,
3: it's the tapping. It's the ta- it's all these little <laughs> mannerisms of him and Karen. I think you bring up an extra excellent point. This has been half like before everything. This is a relaxed guy from the from Boston, hanging out yeah. with his buddy, making a movie. He's much He's just more relaxed.
4: Fun, it's you know? yeah,
3: and it. But it's later when the pressure of everything, becoming the movie star, and what, and then being criticized by millions and millions of people. Can oh, he right. act? Can he not act? the JLo situation that's sinking all the way down then climbing back up with directing, then the Batman situation and falling down after the, that, that film of his that he did set in world war or certain bootlegging times or whatever. And then having to slowly climb back up and now finding happiness with JLo and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, this is the more relaxed Ben. It's because it's before all the drama, exactly. um, you know, and I bet he would love to go back and be that guy again. And be able to I mean, relax. he's
4: really good him. at it. I, yeah. I wish we could see him do it again because yep. nice it was easy. it was great. Well, it's like him as a
2: supporting actor in uh, Shakespeare in Love. Yes. Oh, oh so yeah. really funny. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Really good. If you're gonna do it like that. Oh, that's so genius. We're in uh, Harvard Square, and Will and Harvard Hobbit Square, <laughs> and Will and Skyler are uh, sitting at a table. By the way, sitting behind them playing chess is Matt Damon's dad. Oh, and, nice! And apparently, mm-hmm. he got so involved in the chess game, he kind of forgot that he was actually on a movie set, and they had to like, no, 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 you're an extra. There's, we're filming here. It's fine that you're playing. You're not playing to win, here guy. Come
1: on. Do you have a photographic memory?
2: And I think at first he kind of tries to deflect it.
5: I don't know. I just kind of remember. You know, I mean, how do you remember your phone number? You know, you just do.
2: <laughs> I do love this moment.
1: Well, have you studied organic chemistry? A little bit. Oh, just for fun.
2: Yeah, for kicks.
1: Yeah, it's so much fun studying organic chemistry. Are you mad? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then this line, it, it, this line, it ends up going in a totally different direction from where I would have thought that it was about to go. She says,
1: nobody studies it for fun. It's not a necessity, especially for someone like you.
5: Someone like me. Yeah.
2: And the danger signs, right? Yeah. Someone like you. And you see his back start to of straighten up and you expect that she's going to back down. And go, oh, I didn't really mean that. And No, I'm sorry. It just came out wrong. But instead, she pushes forward on it.
1: Yeah. Someone who divides that time fairly evening between batting cages and bars. <laughs> who would hardly say it was a necessity.
4: Calls them out. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the great things about Skylar. She is just yep. she's, she's, she's of a different world and is not phased by him.
1: I don't understand how your mind works. Did you play it? I want to talk about this. No,
5: I'm trying to explain it to you. You play the piano.
2: And then he talks about how someone like Mozart or Beethoven, they when they looked at the piano, they could just play.
1: So what are you saying? You play the piano?
5: No, not a lick. I mean, I look at a piano, I see a bunch of keys, three pedals, and a box of wood. But Beethoven, Mozart, they saw it, they could just play. I couldn't paint you a picture. I probably can't hit the ball out of Fenway. I can't play the piano.
1: But you can do my Oaken paper in under an hour.
5: Right. Well I mean when it came with stuff like
3: that, I could always just play. It's a great explanation, by the
4: way. It yeah. really is. Like it, it works yeah. so well.
3: I've stayed it has stayed in my mind ever since that movie, you know, because we all have things that we can instinctually do. And we're always amazed at people who don't have that instinctual ability to do it. Yeah. And we just go, it's just so natural. It feels odd that you would
2: ask me how this all works, you know? So, yeah, it's such a great explanation. I think I could guess what each one of yours is. (laughs) (laughs) You love to challenge yourself in this way. It's true. It's Well, maybe that's what mine is. But um,
4: but, (laughs) that's one of yours.
2: (laughs) John, my guess for you, the thing that you... uh, can just play at that you don't understand why it's so hard for everybody else is kind of what we're doing right here is talking is is yeah. doing your youtube show and mm-hmm. you know you could always just play Pe-
3: yes people say to me all the time how can you possibly talk for hours and hours on end on shows and i'm just like it's so natural to me i don't think twice about it and
0: yeah, yeah I don't later
3: lately i've gotten a little more exhausted as i've gotten older at the end of the day but i could actually talk for eight hours a day with no problem and yet other people are like insane about that. It could never
4: it's, be. it's partially why it's taken me so long to come back. <laughs> this yeah. is not easy
3: for me. Oh, fair. fair. <gasps> Lindley says the same thing, by the way. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this last time. Lindley also graduated from Boston University with a oh, job. Really? Oh, so nice. She nice. is a Terrier, so yeah, so, um, you know, I was talking to her about it. She loves this film, so I was talking to her about this film. But, yeah, the same thing she says to me, like, I don't understand how you do it because she does two Zoom calls a day and she's just exhausted because right. she's yeah. such an introvert. Um,
2: And Karen, yours is singing.
4: Yeah. Mm. yeah, we've talked about it before where you're, like, trying, you know, you said, like, you're trying to find the note. I'm like, I don't. I don't know what that means. Like I just know, <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, know where yeah, the note is. It. I just, I don't, I don't need to try to find the note. And when I try to find the note, that's when I lose the note. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those weird. If I try too hard, then I can't.
3: Yeah. I so envy people like you. I don't even know how to even begin to find the note. So yeah.
4: You really? That's but you, you, you find. I mean, you, you're actually a very good singer, John. No, no,
3: nope. no, 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 that's not true. Just don't tell people <laughs> that. Don't tell people that.
4: Okay. Well, I, I, I have heard you sing many a times that impress the hell out of me. So. It might not be your fort, but uh, it is something you are very good at.
3: Are you trying to be my scholar? For someone like you, it's pretty impressive.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I was doing. Give me credit for that.
3: By the way, I love Minnie Driver's head bob here in this. Yeah, because it's so much fun. Yeah, the, her, <laughs> little, her little thing like that is just genius and gives more All of her, her
4: mannerisms. Her, yeah,
3: just so more of the personality of why you like her as a character in the
4: film. You know, And I'm so glad they did let her stay british like yeah. i just yeah. you know like that she's so charming
1: come in.
2: Uh, i have to tell you something uh, and she leans forward and he's leaning in and she looks like she's about to say something and then she kisses him yeah you know what the thought i had here was that he was just honest with her he opened up and said yeah. something real and she loved him more for it. yeah and they had this moment
1: it's not fair
2: what's not fair what
4: I've
2: been here for 4 years and I've only just found you. Well, you found me. That that is love. Yeah,
4: that is a yeah. that's a beautiful moment because I think we've all felt that at some point. Mm. That 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 combination of sad that we took so long to get somewhere but also happy that we did eventually get there, you know, and there's that that melancholy feeling of like, oh, how is how is this going to work?
2: Well, We go from there to a very, you know, top-down shot, looking at them, they're back in bed. And I swear to God, when I was prepping for this episode and I got to this scene, I said, I can't handle this. I can't handle this fucking scene right now. And I turned it off and I walked away. (laughs) (laughs) I will also tell you, uh, when I was teaching, uh, there are certain scenes, you know, both of you know this, that just get handed to actors. They work on this thing. And so I have multiple times seen terrible student actors try to do this scene <laughs> and I do not like Karen would you ever ha- hand this scene to new actors
4: no no it, it you know it's scene, scene picking for uh, for auditions or for workshops and all that kind of stuff is a real art form <laughs> trying to figure out what your students are capable of and you know it, it's it's a real difficult uh thing so I I understand why it happens but yeah you got to love a scene like this and just go, no, I love this scene too much to put it in the wrong hands, yeah. you know?
2: So they're in this very romantic moment. And I think she just out of emotion, not out of thought, says, Will come to California with me. And he sits up, and you could just feel yeah. the huge wave of emotions. i sure about that.
0: Oh,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, but how do you know?
1: I don't know. I just
2: know and i find that interesting we're talking about she just she just knows about love mm-hmm. and we just had a scene where will said when it comes to that stuff i can just play right and who one of his father figures the most important moment of his life is i had to see about a girl
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know he just knew mm-hmm. and here's something where will can't just play he doesn't he doesn't know how to just know
4: well and i think it's even i think it's even more than that because he's I think he's just terrified of everything that's going on right oh, yeah. now. He's terrified of what's happening with Jerry and the uh, getting the accolades for someone finally seeing his genius. And what does that mean for the future for him? He's terrified of being in a relationship with somebody who's actually treating him well, somebody that right. he's, I think, clearly falling in love with. And that's a really precarious place to be. And and I'm sure for him because of coming from, you know, his background that he has love is probably even more scary than it is for most people. And it's one of, it's scary. I mean, it's scary for everybody, but if you come from that kind of, you know, horrible, you know, beaten up background where love is shown by every way except love, you know, it's, it's, you gotta have messed up thoughts about, if someone tells you that, you, you've got, there's got to be so many levels of your brain going, I can't trust this. Can I trust this? And there's probably a thousand things that are that he's yeah. thinking.
5: Because that's a really serious thing you're saying. Mean, I, I know you could be in California next week and, you know, you might find out something about me you don't like and, you know, maybe you wish you hadn't said that. But, you know, it's such a serious thing that you can't take it back. And now I'm stuck in California. Someone doesn't really want to be with me. Just wish they had a take back.
4: A what What's the take back? I don't want to take back. I love the use of the term take back.
2: <laughs> By the way, I think I found this a really interesting directorial choice. Mm-hmm. Scenes like this are obviously very hard. You know, they're very tough on the actors. And it's very tough, particularly when you have to do a lot of coverage, which means shooting the scene from all sorts of different angles, yeah. for an actor to be at this level of emotion over and over and over yeah. again. So the way Gus Van Sant choreographed this scene is essentially all of Mini Driver's important coverage is in one shot. Wow. So he didn't have to do a lot of coverage on her. So she could really just let it rip and be in the moment and the camera's with her and that's it. And Matt's coverage is maybe two shots. So they really, really simplified smart. all this.
4: Mm. Yeah. Really smart. Because then he's getting the best out of them and just letting them go. Because that's, again, yeah. you know, we've talked about it. Like just when you have such talent as those two working there, you just got to let them play.
3: Why wouldn't you come? What are you so scared of?
2: When she says scared, man, mm-hmm.
4: that's the trigger point.
3: It's a trigger for two reasons. One, one he's a dude, and yep. you tell a guy he's scared. It's a young guy who really doesn't have a control of his emotions and how to gauge that question. And two, she's actually right. And so, oh yeah, in, in an instinctive level, I think he senses that she's right, and that also sparks this immediate. Uh, backlash right a defensive position and he's gonna destroy whatever this thing is that's trying to make him feel weak and I think that's what you're getting in that moment
4: well, and I think um, it's, it's also I think it's not just the the dude part of it but it's the dude from Southie like yeah, right he yeah. oh, not, yeah, sure. absolutely he is not scared you know what I mean like that's the last word that most of us would use to describe will
2: in not physically ways. scared
4: yeah but right. I think
2: he's very much emotionally scared
4: yeah but that word I think is a trigger for him right you know yeah. what I mean
2: and what does will do When he's afraid, he lashes out. Lashes out. (laughs) But the way that he lashes out is he lashes out at her with his insecurity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He throws his worst fear about her on her. Yeah, I mean, you just want to have your little fling with like the guy from the other
5: side of town. Then you're going to go off to Stanford. You're going to marry some rich prick who your parents will approve of and just sit around with the other trust fund babies and talk about how you went slumming too once.
2: And the thing is, again, how she comes back is so powerful.
1: What is your obsession with this money? My father died when I was 13 and I inherited this money. You don't think every day I wake up and I wish that I could give it back? That I would give it back in a second if it meant I could have one more day with him.
2: That's powerful
3: yeah yeah i mean you know you see that movie as many times as i think the three of us have seen that movie but that that moment after you've experienced that that moment is yeah. even stronger
4: that's true i didn't even right? think about that yeah. you know and watching you watch it after yourself. having lost
3: exactly mm-hmm. okay because it's like he's right and you know i would Oh well, yeah there's not even a question i would trade any amount of money any future that i have to just you know spend it. you know 24 hours with my dad again because that's why that if that about time film is so devastatingly awesome because that is basically what the film is and so that is just so um incredible to watch and witness and so in the context of what she's saying and and again she's surrendering her vulnerability you know because he's lashing out with the low-hanging fruit right and she's countering it with intelligent argument emotionally intelligent emotionally yeah yeah Mm -hmm. saying like hey don't you think I'd give it all back for this? And it's not something Will understands because Will didn't have a, a good dad. So it's something that he doesn't necessarily instantly connect to, you know? So in the moment of fury and passion and anger and all that, you know, it's no surprise that he doesn't take that into context as she's laying it down. You know.
2: By the way, I would also trade a whole bunch of stuff for 24 hours with my dad, but – I, the problem is, my dad would spend those twenty four hours explaining why I had made a very bad deal, like <laughs> what I should True. have done instead. You're still spending time. With <laughs> but would but I would be quality point. time with my dad.
4: <laughs> um, my, my dad would do a similar thing, but different. Like it would be more like a, "You did what?
2: You're crazy. Why would you?" Yeah. I
1: taught um, you better than that. <laughs> don't put your shit on me when you're the one that's
5: afraid. I'm afraid. What, what, what am I afraid of? What the fuck am I afraid of? You're afraid of?
1: of me. You're afraid that I won't love you back. You know what? I'm afraid too. Fuck it. I want to give it a shot. And
0: at least I'm honest with you.
3: I'm not honest with you. No, what about your 12 brothers? Boom! Like, she has all... And just like any intelligent woman, she has the bullets in the arsenal... Oh, yeah. ...to use when when she needs to use them, and not to kill... To you know, make you pay attention and ca- kind of call you out on your shit she's you been
4: know? thinking all this stuff for a long yes. time yes she has been waiting and waiting. she keeps waiting and hoping that he will come to her and tell her the truth, and he's not doing it and not doing it. so at this point she's she's like you said, she's got the arsenal, she's got the bullets she's got them there, and so this is the time to use them if not now, when right
2: right and what's for will's first instinct when she asks him this question, he starts to go. He is, it is fight or flight. And this, we're now to flight. Mm-hmm. And she gets in his way and says, No, you're not going. You're not leaving. Both of their performances are amazing. Yeah. But Mini Driver's ability to play deep love and compassion, mm-hmm. real strength, and powerful, profound, sad reactions to the truth that she's now hearing about this yeah. guy. Yeah. That's a lot that she's doing.
4: Because hearing the guy that you're, you know, talk, having this conversation with, this guy that you're falling in love with and, and and have been wondering all this time what's really going on and have him actually finally say, I'm an orphan yeah. Yeah. and having to process that, you know, because she she probably, I don't know what she expected, but she probably didn't quite expect that.
5: What do you want to know? What? That I don't have 12 brothers?
2: Yes. That I'm a fucking orphan. Yes. No, you don't want to hear I didn't that. Know no, that. you don't want to hear that. You don't I want to hear that, that I got it. fucking
5: cigarettes put out of me when I was a little kid. Money, I
2: didn't know that, that this
5: isn't fucking surgery. That the motherfuckers stabbed me. You <laughs> don't want to hear that shit, Skylar.
2: And she crying, but says, "I want to hear that shit because I want to help you and help." Yeah, is just like scared.
4: She should have said, I want to know you, but she said, I want to help you. And because she didn't realize what a trigger word that was going to be for him.
3: I think she said her honest truth Mm. that she does want to help him because she loves him. Yeah. You know, and so unfortunately, she doesn't know like the full extent, because I imagine he hasn't told her the full extent about the Sean or Jerry situation. So for her, that word means you know being there for you and because i care about you and that's there's huge value in that but um he's not smart enough or emotionally ready enough to really
2: grasp what she's offering at this yeah. point she's trying to hold him yeah. and he grabs her arms and pushes her very forcefully against the door
1: god i just want to be with don't you because bullshit. i love you don't bullshit me don't love you, fucking bullshit you. Bullshit me
2: and it's scary you know we don't know like this is this, this is inches away from real violence I think right. uh, and what what, it, what occurred to me when I was watching was Will can handle pain much more easily than he can handle love mm-hmm. you know love he's love is what he's afraid of and so he'll move things he gets he makes Sean attack him yeah because he can't deal with intimacy because he can deal with the attack I want to hear you
1: say that you don't love me <laughs> Because if you say that,
0: then I won't call you. And I won't be in your life.
2: And he looks at her and it's a very hard look and then looking right in her eye, he says, I don't love you. And walks out. Oh, such a yeah. cool scene. It really is. Followed by a small moment of comedy as Will shirtless and shoeless is trying to put on his clothes in the square while some <laughs> girls, walk, college girls walk by laughing at him. Walk of shame. And then we're back at MIT and Tom is giving Will a pep talk. <laughs> kind of.
6: Most people never get to see how brilliant they can be. They
2: don't find teachers who believe in them. Which is Tom, sadly. Oh, I mean,
3: Will could care less of what Tom is saying. Yeah. But it's, mm-hmm. you add that on to what he just experienced with Skylar. And it's even more of a, like, I don't give a shit, dude. Like, work out your own issues, you know.
2: Jerry enters and as and immediately sends Tom out to get some coffee. <laughs> Will hands him his work, and you can see Jerry first start to go, yeah, yeah, this is good, and then... This can't be right. It would be very embarrassing. I think Will has just shown that Jerry made a very public mistake somehow. In yeah. That's what I see happening in the scene.
5: Look, maybe I don't want to spend the
2: rest of my fucking life sitting around explaining shit to people. I mean, no one talks to Professor Lambeau this way.
4: What, what I love about that moment is that it's it's so telling about both of them, because, like, Matt the Will's telling his his truth in that moment which is which is he doesn't like he really doesn't want to explain. I think that almost harkens in some way back to the whole Skylar scene before is that mm. he doesn't want to explain to her why he's scared or why he feels the way that he feels. He he's tired of of being in that position and Jerry is like grasping at straws trying to connect with him trying to make this moment happen.
3: Yeah, and I also think, you know, Steve, we've talked about Orson Welles many times on the show and, you know, he is occasionally in his interviews full of, you know, grandeur and fluff and who knows if half those three quarters of those stories, nine tenths of those stories are real. But um, he talks about the frustration of being a genius or called a genius. And many people who are geniuses talk about the frustration of it all because they have to, in essence – explain this shit out that for them feels very natural and it's a frustrating thing to constantly do that with everybody you come in contact with and you hear about them being it's not an excuse but you hear about them being temperamental or or angry or frustrated or you know lashing out and i imagine yeah, it's it like
4: it's be. like it's a heavy burden you know it's 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 it's, right. it's, it's, it's almost like you can't understand like because we, we can't like we can't understand yeah. what not what to be insulting but is like
3: if we had to work with a bunch of kindergartners all the time, how, and actually expect them to do, and they would constantly—I mean, like you would just go insane. It would yeah. just go insane. And I don't mean I would. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean the teachers, right? Of course, because you know they have to do that, and that's a different situation that's built into the thing. But if you were constantly work every kindergarten, is like, hey, explain this to me, and you're just like, oh my god, you know, eventually it would just become so annoying. So I think in this moment is the breaking point of the relationship between Jerry and—I mean the scene rather it's the breaking point between Jerry and. And Will, because Will is also at his breaking point. Because I don't think he's happy that he's lost Skyler. I don't think he's happy that everybody wants to change his life. Um, and it isn't until we get to the scene with Ben Affleck that he finally it finally kind of calibrates. But that that this scene is him like going, "Stop it!" in a, in yeah. a way, um, and in a very brutal way. Um,
4: yeah,
3: when he sets that paper on fire.
4: Yeah, it's, it's I almost. Think we'll- it's his, it's his I, I, fuck you. You know, it's like his way of, yeah, of yeah. taking charge for the first time with Jerry and like actually really like his, he's, he's, like, he's, he's punched at Jerry a little bit, but like this is the time where he's actually like standing up and saying, I'm not going to be your puppet.
2: Frankly, I think Will's on a rampage. I mean, I Dude. think the, the post Skylar thing, yeah. he's just like destroy it all, you know? Yeah. Do you know how
5: easy this is for me? Do you have any fucking idea how easy this, is? this is a fucking joke. And I'm sorry you can't do this. I really am because I wouldn't have to fucking sit here and watch you fumble around and fuck it up.
4: Oh, my God. No, it's, it's so brutal and so beautiful. It's just,
2: ugh. He's taken his math, his work back, and he's turned his back, and we sort of see a lighter, but we don't quite know what's happening. You're right.
5: This is probably a total waste of my time.
2: And he drops the burning paper and Jerry runs across the room drops to his knees and, and blows it out. tries to blow it out
4: yeah i i stopped after that scene for a moment cuz i had to collect myself at how beautifully acted and beautifully written like that that scene is so such a pivotal moment in the in the film it tells you so much about both of these men like you you think you know these men before you get to the scene and then you get to the scene and now you're like Everything, like so much more. There's so much more now that has been brought to the surface just by this one very small but very huge moment, you know?
2: Um, Originally, it was just crumpling up the piece of paper and the lighter (gasps) is something they found in rehearsal. Oh, wow.
4: It's, it's so, so much, much better. better because you can't get it back, you know. Right, yeah. Crumpled, you can get you can open it up. But it's it's but fire, like it that's why we burn a man and burning a man. Like you can't <laughs> get it back. It's it's um, it, 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 it breaks it down into a, you know, it's just gone. It's it's here one it's minute fine, yeah. and gone the next. Yeah. Yeah, you're right,
5: Will. I can't do this proof. But you can, and when it comes to that it's only about oh, it's just a handful of people in the world who can tell the difference between you and me. But I'm one
2: of them. So I thought, and I think all three of us, I'm assuming, thought about Salieri yeah. in this moment. Oh, of yeah. course. Here's what's interesting. It, it occurred to me because the three of us are all basically the same age as Matt and Ben. We're right around the same generation. Yeah. In the commentary track, you know what they were talking about in this moment? Salieri. Salieri. <laughs> they I 100% we were thinking of that movie when they wrote this script.
6: Most days I wish I never
5: met you was well, then I could sleep at night. I didn't, I didn't have to walk around with the knowledge that there was someone like you out there.
2: And Will is walking out and closes the door. I, I didn't have to watch you throw it all away. The way it was shot, Will was still in the room when he said that last line.
4: Oh,
2: wow. Having him say it to the closed door is in post.
4: That's so much better. Okay. I this think is, it's so this, much better.
2: It's, it's such an example of a discovery in post of, of it being more dramatic
4: and changing the
2: nature of the scene.
4: I love it because that shows a a a momentary bit of growth for Jerry, Mm. you know, that he, that he held back and didn't like, I feel, I feel like that's almost like a moment of him kind of saying, I love you to him, you know, like kind of forgiving him for the stuff that's happened between them. Like there's this moment of like, he can feel that he can think that, but he does manage to sort of keep it to himself. He has to say it. He has to get it out, but he doesn't say it to him. He says it to the room.
2: The next scene, I don't think we need to say that much about. It's a funny (laughs) scene that has to do with masturbation and a baseball glove and stuff like that. Um, The only thing I'll say about it, (laughs) but John, if you have more to add, please, (laughs) of course, uh, is that (laughs) in, in terms of the scene, Will is supposed to be really, really upset and so Matt Damon is trying to play really, really upset in the foreground in this scene. But well. Casey Affleck is so damn funny that he just keeps <laughs> laughing. Yeah, it's impossible for God's sakes. Yeah. But I, I will say this. I mean,
3: first of all, a baseball glove like that's oh. an interesting decision. Uh, it really
4: is. I mean, I was wondering. Oof. I mean, I'm not you guys, but I was wondering.
3: about that. It's mean, <laughs> weird. It's weird. I, You know, I, I felt guilty because I would occasionally do that when I was growing up on my mom's bear rug. Um, <laughs> and then eventually had to replace that rug uh, but like ah. but the baseball glove like is the is there wool or cotton inside the glove because I hope to god it isn't one of those straight leather gloves because you are <laughs> scarring
2: yourself up is some I mean. people are into leather I mean
3: you know yeah, well fair enough Casey seems like you know um, the kind of person that might yeah
2: <laughs> I'm gonna say something weird which is i I adore this movie I absolutely love it I feel like there's a weird drift in this section of the movie mm. where it's like structurally it's just a little bit off if for instance mm. we now go he literally just had a conversation with Jerry about don't sending me out on any more meetings for jobs i'm not going on any more meetings for jobs cut to he's in a meeting for a job with the nsa so that's a little oh, weird good point yeah yeah, um, yeah good point and then and i think i think this is a fantastic monologue I, I it, it's weird. It, fit, it it fits strangely into the movie and it's really long so I don't want to go through the whole thing but it is a beautifully structured monologue. They ask him... So the way I see it, the question isn't why should you work for the NSA? The question is why shouldn't you? It's a tough one. <laughs> but I'll take a shot. And then he starts telling this story and as you see the speed of his mind and the story is... Of he cracks a code, which leads to a war, which leads to someone from his neighborhood going to fight in the war, which leads to him getting wounded, which leads to the factory getting shipped to where the war was, which leads to him losing his job. And then there's a You know, and then there's a shipwreck, which is leads to an oil spill, which leads to, you know, all sorts of horrible stuff. And he he finishes up with him saying,
5: so now my buddy's out of work. He can't afford to drive. So he's walking to the fucking job interviews, which sucks because the shrapnel in his ass is giving him chronic hemorrhoids. And meanwhile, he's starving because every time he tries to get a bite to eat, the only blue plate special they're serving is North Atlantic scrod with Quaker (laughs) State.
2: All of which is really funny. And then Gus Van Sant had a very, very strange idea to write in the middle of this monologue to leave the business meeting and cut to Sean's office where Will is now telling the story of Sean.
5: I figure, fuck it, while I'm at it, why not just shoot my buddy, take his job, give it to his sworn enemy, hike up gas prices, bomb a village, club a baby seal, hit the hash pipe, and join the National Guard. I could be elected president.
2: It's all a good monologue, and it is funny, but I kind of go like... What does this have to do with anything?
4: I believe that's the one scene that's sort of left over from when it was more... The spy stuff. The spy stuff. Mm. Um, But yeah, it is is definitely slightly out of place in some ways, but I think it does, again, show us more of his crazy intelligence and his crazy ability to be in any place and, and make it work. This is
3: how a genius would rationalize things, right? I mean, an extensively long story that is interconnected... You know, we were doing the forum. Mm, yeah, one of the things that has always stayed with me. And look, I you know you can toss out 90 percent of what I learned at the forum, in my opinion. But like, there are two things that st- that stick with me: the idea of your word, and the other other is, um, the future fear stuff. How you can talk yourself out of everything if you live in a place of future fear, which I think Sean is about to deliver. To will in this exchange that leads to what yeah. it leads to, but that's what he what he's doing is basically outlining a future fear that excuses him not taking a chance on this situation. Just like mm-hmm. he did with Skyler, there's yep. a mirror here to the Skyler. Totally. Yeah. If you go to count, what if you change your mind? And what if this and that? This and that? So he lives in this place of, I can't yeah. trust anything other than what I have here in Southie that I've constructed with these guys, that's it. So that's why he is such a, in a state of like, uh, of what, like a cat on an on a electric wire. He is Sean and Jerry are tag teaming him, telling me he needs to change his life. The judge uh, himself said, uh, we're done with your excuses and your smart yeah. little cracks. Yeah. Those days are over MIT. He's no longer at MIT like swab. so he can't hide out anymore. And th- then Skylar shows up to show him the possibility of being in love. And so there's so much of his world that's being turned upside down that he's defaulting to all these things to excuse not going forward because he's af- he is legitimately afraid that it will all fall apart and he will be unable to reconstruct it again because God knows what it took for him to construct it in the first place. Like, Yeah, that's
4: actually a good point.
3: Right, I mean, how much he swallowed, ignored, looked past. Anyone that comes from an abusive upbringing understands that state of mind. That Jesus Christ, I just put this together. Mm -hmm. Let me have this. The house of cards,
4: yeah, it it is. Yeah,
3: yeah, it's a house of cards on the outside, but for those of us who are in the house of cards, it really feels firm. You know, and that's what.
4: But we, but but we're aware. We're aware that any little shift. Is, is a problem. And that's yes. why we work so hard to keep the shift from happening. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. Well, Will started building up the defenses in the first place because of real pain. Right. And so, and now that the, those defenses have become to weigh him down, it doesn't mean that when the defenses are falling, that it isn't really, really scary, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. because you're a fragile little kid in there. You feel like you're alone, Will. Which actually is the start of the scene. That's where the scene started in the script. Yeah he pushes him on whether or not he has a uh, you know a soulmate which will first his first answer is chucky his mm-hmm. next answers are shakespeare nietzsche frost o'connor pope and Locke, all of whom are dead
6: you'll never have that kind of relationship in a world where you're always afraid to take the first step because all you see is every negative thing 10 miles down the road
2: literally exactly what you just said john you're absolutely 100 percent right what are you passionate about what do you want
6: I mean, the guys who work their entire life laying brick so their kids have a chance at the opportunities you have here.
2: And now Will's next defense is that he didn't ask for this. This is a thing that's going to come up again.
5: What's wrong with laying brick? Nothing. There's nothing wrong. That's somebody's home I'm building.
2: Right. And it comes out really quick, but I think it's really important. My dad laid brick. Okay. Busted his ass so I can have an education. Now, this is the dad we're going to find out more about in the next thing. But right.
5: What's wrong with, with fixing somebody's car So I'm going to get to work the next day because of me. There's yeah. honor in that.
2: And Sean's not arguing that they're not honorable. You could be a janitor anywhere.
6: Why did you work at the most prestigious technical college in the whole fucking world? Why did you sneak around at night and finish other people's formulas that only one or two people in the world could do and
3: then lie about? Because I don't see a lot of honor in that, Will. It is just like Skyler calling him out in the whole thing. Like, it is so perfect. And... Can I tell you, the first time I watched the movie, when he's laying that down, I was like, I didn't even think about that. The movie does such a great job of distracting you with all the stuff that's going on, that that moment can hit you really hard if you haven't even thought about the fact that Will might have in some deep, deep, subconscious way himself wanted to change his life. And in a way, by starting the process of working at MIT, that was his Really emotionally stunted way of trying to initiate yeah. some kind of process that will lead to him climbing out of this hole that his life had become. Because although it was comfortable, I think at some level, as a genius, he sensed it was it was uh, harmful to him, and so he needed to find a way out that wasn't that wasn't him overtly doing it. You
4: know, well, I think it's almost it, it could it could even be less than that. It could be that. Mm. He's maybe not even quite aware that he's trying to change his life, but just changing the monotony of his life, just changing a little thing in his life. And maybe he's not even thinking about the fact that that could lead to a change in his life.
2: But I think since Sean has obviously nailed him so carefully that Will is finally going to give an honest answer. And he, from the heart says, I want to be a shepherd. (laughs) (laughs) And I love Sean's just like done with him reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Really? get the fuck out of here yep. his
4: face in that moment is just great
5: i want to move up to nashua get a nice little spread get some sheep and tend to them maybe you should cook them well you
6: know if you're gonna jerk off once you just do it at home with a
2: moist towel you're checking me and what's so funny is because it's you're it's like the relationship with skyler yeah he's freaked out that he's wait no i need that i need to be here oh wow there's repercussions consequences okay. yeah. there, so my right actions
4: there? Your therapist is not supposed to be able to kick you out.
6: (laughs) Listen, you're not going to answer my questions. You're wasting my fucking time.
5: I thought we were friends. What do you mean?
2: And I love Sean's response.
6: Playtime's over.
2: He doesn't say we're not friends. Right. He says, no, there's real work to be done here. And you're jerking me around. And I'll say this is Mm something. He's there too. Yeah. You said, Steve, the two dads, right? And you, I think you,
3: Karen said, it's, you got to figure out when to push, when not to push. Yeah. This is Sean pushing as a dad. This is Sean as the dad in the situation. Pushing in this moment because he knows Will is on the verge.
4: Yeah, he sees the breakthrough on the other side, and he's going right. for it.
3: And this is Will in his last defense, making a joke, whatever. So Sean does the unconventional thing of
4: kicking him out. I think. I think because he knows it's going to work. He think. I think he finally sees that this is the time that if he well, pushes, yeah. he senses Will a, yeah. that maybe Will will get it.
2: And you know, things come in threes. Skyler pushed him. Mm. And he attacked. Right. Uh, Jerry started to push him with the work stuff. And he attacked and destroyed Jerry. Right. And now Sean has pushed him. So what does Will do?
5: You lecturing me on life? Look at you, you fucking burnout. What winds your clock? Working with you. Which I think is a great
4: answer. It is a great answer.
5: (laughs) Where's your soulmate? You want to talk about soulmates? Where is she?
4: Dead.
5: That's right. She's fucking dead. She fucking dies. And you just cash in your chips and you walk away?
2: It's brutal.
4: He's not wrong. Yeah. He's not no, wrong. I was just, That's he's scary. not wrong at all. It's I mean, he's yeah. got him spot on, you know?
6: Hey, at least I played a hand.
4: Oh, you played a hand and you lost. You lost a big
5: fucking hand, and some people will lose a big hand like that and have the sack to Annie up again.
2: I think if there hadn't been the painting scene, mm. this would have fucked Sean up. But right. I think Sean's past that now. And he's yeah. like, I'm not gonna let you distract me from what we're talking about.
6: What do you want to do? You and your bullshit. You got a bullshit answer for everybody, but I ask you a very simple question and you can't give me a straight answer.
2: And he opens up the door for him and says, see you, Bo Peep. Bo oh, Peep is great. <laughs> oh, Peep is so good. For me, some of the greatest things in the world is when you can be deeply moved and then bust up laughing. Fuck you. You're the shepherd. <laughs> that is an improv. And after he's out, he says, shepherd, little prick.
4: <laughs> it's I mean, they're all of these scenes between them are great. But this one, I don't know what I love about this one is it's so completely different. Like this yeah. scene, yeah, is, you see them both kind of just say, fuck it and just try something new with each other. And it's great because then it leads, obviously, to what we're getting to. But uh, it's 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 so nice to see that other side. Of yeah. the relationship.
2: Will's at a phone booth. He calls Skylar not to make up with her, but to say that he's taking a job and he's not going to be just a construction worker.
1: Well, you know, I never really cared about that.
2: There's a whole bunch of weird stuff that like Will felt the need to justify himself to her career-wise at this moment. I love you. And he has an answer.
5: Well, you
2: Take care. Let me ask a Steve
3: Morris question. Yes. Yeah. Steve Morris, Karen. Why did he call Skylar to tell her about that?
2: I think he called Skylar to tell her he loves her and wants to go to California.
4: Yeah, I think so. That's Maybe not chicken. what came I mean. I, I don't. I don't know that he fully knew that. I think he wanted to call yeah. her because he wanted to call her, mm. and he was going to see what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Let me and, change. And, let me and, change and, what.
2: Yeah. <laughs> let me change what I said. I said I think he called her to tell her that. Yeah. Karen, you're right. He didn't call her to tell her that. He called her because he does love her and does want to go to California. But he's he not doesn't sure. know it consciously. Yeah.
4: He he doesn't know how it's going to happen, but he had to call her and that was the that was the facade. You know, the facade was, "Oh, I got this job and and because he's he's pinning it again on her, like it's it's I need to tell you this because, you know, that that way you'll think better of me." Right. And then I I, I often wonder if she hadn't said I love you, if they had just talked longer, you know, if if it would Maybe. if he would have gotten there, you know, but um I wasn't in the script. I think, she went too, <laughs> I think she went too far too fast, probably because she was hoping that that's why he called. Well, and, she's uh, also,
3: you know, like, I mean, like, you know, her age has to be factored in too. Like she's, and this is probably the first time she's ever been in love with somebody too. So for her in that moment, it is reaching out to tell him how she feels in an effort to, because cause he called her, yeah. So he clearly is still thinking about her, still misses her, and is still connected to her.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So she's trying to make it clear to him. And look, this is, what, the third time she said, I love you to him?
0: Yeah. I mean, how many times yeah. does
3: Sean say it's not your fault? So yeah. there's a... That's there's a, a good point. There's a connective tissue here between Skylar and yeah. Sean throughout the whole movie. And this is her third time, I think, of saying I love you to try to get him to open up or to you know surrender his vulnerability to her. But it's Sean saying that it's not your fault. That is the key because man to man, Sean understands more times?
2: what he's in.
4: Yeah, is that more times? I can't remember. Like, I feel like he says it more like five or six times before. He well,
2: now we're going to have to find out exactly. How <laughs> we will. That's that's the the we're going to have to count them. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but so like
4: it, it's <laughs> yeah. it's interesting because you're you're right, John. I think that's actually a really good parallel that I don't think I had seen before. That 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 he needs. It's funny that the genius needs the repetition. Like yeah. It just needs to be told Great over and over and over again.
2: Great point. We have a montage with Will looking at the water. It's another Elliott Smith song, Angels. So we see Skylar fly away. We see the Wills working at the construction site with Chucky. Which, by the way, uh, autocorrect has corrected Chucky to be cuckoo, corrected Chucky (laughs) to be chicken, corrected Chucky to be a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, uh, Jerry is in Sean's office. Will is a no-show. And it's after work. And Will and Chucky are standing by a truck at a construction site drinking a beer. And I just want to say I want to bring it up here is that what Matt Damon and Ben Affleck did was really scary. Just as what Sylvester Stallone did with Rocky is really scary. Is that okay, we wrote this script and now the whole movie rests we have to deliver every day as actors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is the scene where Ben Affleck was scared. This is the scene where he knew he had to deliver.
4: Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, this is ahead. this is the scene for him. Like this is the the big moment.
2: And, and by the way, one other thing. Uh w- Matt and Ben did work construction as they were struggling actors, and the sign in the background is the sign of the construction company that they worked for.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I heard that.
2: (laughs) And they're talking about Will's future and the meetings and...
1: Yeah, they are gonna hook you up with a job or what? Yeah, fucking sit in a
5: room and do long division for the next 50 years. probably make some nice bank, though.
2: And Will is not happy about the job. He's resisting all this Mm. stuff.
1: Better than this shit way
5: out of here i want a way out of here for i mean i'm gonna fucking live here the rest of my life you know be neighbors you know we'll have little kids fucking take them a little league
2: together up foley field and there's this huge reaction and I, this is just a perfect speech yeah
4: be- before says, we get into it one of the things i love about this moment is that you you wonder like how have they not talked about this before but it, it 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 feels like are you wondering
2: like, why dudes haven't talked about something before.
4: <laughs> I just <laughs> mean like great. they if they've known each other for so long, you think at some point there might be some. You are looking at it like a like a woman, <laughs> like, like a, a woman. Chucky's <laughs> like brother's jacking off into a
3: glove, Karen. I don't <laughs> it He's fucking intimate. Even Chucky himself is not. You don't see Chucky have any kind of emotional connection. Even when uh, I think maybe this one will when he realizes Will is lying to Skylar about yeah, the first yeah, yeah. thing, That's like the first real glimpse of their like. Mm-hmm. Emotional exchanges of something—they don't oh, have yeah, a lot of a emotionally, point. you know, connective conversations uh, yeah. at all. Like we, we, you never see a, a scene of Will calling Chucky and going, "Guess what Sean pulled today?" or "Guess what Jerry said today?" Yeah, no. they don't. That, they it, don't he share their seen feelings. That, I could
2: see that being congruent. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. and and the scene that you mentioned at the car with the driving and stuff is one where pointedly Chucky doesn't talk to him about this. Yes, stuff. right.
1: Look, you're my best friend, so don't take this the wrong way. 20 years, if you're still living here, coming over my house to watch the Patriots game, you're still working construction, I'll fucking kill you.
2: And I love this next line, because I think it's such a... I love how he puts it.
1: That's not a threat. What? That's a fact. I'll fucking kill you.
2: You know, you could just tell that someone's thought through a speech. You know what I mean? Right. Chucky has been thinking this for a long time. Yeah.
1: You got something none of us
5: have.
2: Oh, come on. Why,
1: why is it always
5: this? I mean, I fucking owe it to myself to do this or that. What if I don't uh-huh. want to?
4: No, no, no. Well, fuck you. You don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to me. Yeah. And that's powerful. Yeah. That's powerful when a friend says that to you.
1: tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'll be 50. And I'll still be doing this shit. And that's all right. That's fine. I mean, you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket. You're too much of a pussy to cash in. And that's bullshit. Once again, you're scared. You're scared. Because I'd do fucking anything to have what you got. So would any of these fucking guys. It would be an insult to us if you're still here in 20 years. Hanging around here is a
3: fucking waste of your time.
4: That part, the, it would be an insult to us. I think that's, that to me is like just the moment where you're like, mm-hmm. maybe you're going to get somewhere.
3: You need it. And, you know, I mean, you guys know this story, but, you know, Sarah was the one that sat me down in 2005 at a cpk at hollywood and highland and said you need to go see somebody you're losing all your friends you're fighting with us all too much you're angry at the world you think everyone is you're paranoid that everyone's like screwing you over in some way and i love you and i don't want to lose you as my friend so please whatever we need to do i will help in any way financially that i can but i want you to get this help and you just never know the power of a friend to finally get through to you in a moment when you're just so lost in your anger and your own issues. And I think this moment is so powerful because of that. I think My own personal connection to that moment as well and what I went through and what that led me to down the road um, and where I'm at now. You know, It's such an essential part of my life. And so this speech, Chucky is the one person who can get through to Will and who Will trusts to see through his bullshit and trusts his opinion and analysis on more than Skyler, who he's just kind of met, more than Sean, who he's just kind of met. It's this guy, the guy who is part of the constructed world that he has built in order to stay safe. Even this guy is telling him enough. And I think there's such power in that. And Ben does a great job. I mean, he looks to his right a bit too much for me as an actor because that's a default thing, like putting your hand on furniture when you're acting. Mm. But I, overall, I think he does a great job
2: in this uh, scene in the back and forth. And you feel the authenticity of it. You know what just occurs to me? Because the It's Not Your Fault scene is so powerful. It is. Is that we go like, it, you know, that Robin Williams shaved, saved Will Hunting's life, you know? But actually, oh, yeah. it's Skyler and Chucky, yep. and I would say even Jerry mm-hmm. and Sean. They all have to come without one of them. Yeah. Will's, you know,
3: doomed. Yeah. Um, if, if Sean doesn't act on seeing him solve the problem, none of this happens. Yeah. None of this.
1: Happens. Every day I come by your house and I pick you up. When we go out, we have a few drinks and a few laughs and it's great. You know what the best part of my day is? For about 10 seconds from when I pull up to the curb to when I get to your door. Cause so I think maybe I'll get up there and I'll knock on the door and you won't be there. No goodbye. No, see you later. No, nothing. I'm just left.
4: So powerful because it really shows you the bond between them, because this is the moment where you finally see will be being gotten through to by someone, you know, like, yeah. like you said, it's, it's, it's not just a one person. It's not a one, two punch. It's kind of a four punch, you know, it's all four of them hitting at the right moment, but but this one lands harder than the first two. Mm-hmm. And I think it sets him up for, for Sean to, you know, to, fi- to finish him off in the, in the other scene.
2: We're back at Sean's office. Wait a
3: minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Steve Morris, Karen and I gave our opinion. What is your opinion of the scene? You didn't say, what well, you thought about this exchange and how it affected you as you were watching it. And maybe now as an older man looking at it again for the first time.
2: Maybe I didn't want to face the deep emotions I feel because it makes me cry every time. There we go. Yeah. And, and it's, it's such an act of these are real friends. Yes. And I, and I think part of it is Ben and Matt are real friends. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
4: You can't, you can't make that stuff up. That's, that's just in their, in their bones.
2: Well, and I think it goes to, I'm glad Karen, you brought up the thing about why, you know, haven't they talked about why haven't they talked about this before is it's that dude, lack of ability to talk like this that makes it when the dude does talk like this so damn powerful Mm -hmm. all of his time with chucky is just joking and fun and you know getting in fights and whatever right so when chucky just talks straight to him that's huge
4: yeah
2: all right so we're in the midst of a fight with jerry and sean about you know about what's happening with will he's a no-show and there's all the little bits of insecurity from jerry are just so funny I don't care if you have a few laughs, even at my expense, but don't you dare undermine what I'm trying to do here. Jerry has a whole fantasy that Will and Sean are laughing at him behind his back.
3: Right, which speaks volumes about how, you know, his paranoia about himself. Yeah, well, yeah, and, just,
4: yeah. and and the grandiose grandiosity that he thinks they're talking about him. Like, right. he has nothing to do with what they're talking about for the most yeah. part, you know? He's got problems.
5: Well, what problems does he have, Sean? That he's better off
4: as a janitor, that
5: he's better off in jail, better off hanging out with a bunch of retarded gr- Oh, why do you think he does that, Jerry? Do you have any fucking clue why? Hmm. He can handle the problems. He can handle the work,
2: and he obviously handled you. Because basically, Jerry thinks he's totally manipulated Sean.
5: And
6: who's he handling? He pushes people away before they have a chance to leave him. It's a defense mechanism, all right?
2: And Jerry, while lying down, which I love, which was Stellan Skarsgård's idea, (laughs) to lie down in the midst of this fight...
6: (laughs) don't
5: you
6: do that, Sean. What, Jerry? Don't
2: you do that. Don't infect him with the idea that it's okay to quit, that it's okay to be a
3: failure, because it's not okay, Sean. (laughs) Like, the level of asshole is so high. It's (laughs) so high. Yeah, you're right. Again, because he's losing the argument. So he defaults to this. Or he's frustrated that he's not getting through the Sean, so he thinks, I'm going to hit Sean where it hurts. And he says something like this, which is so... As the kids now say nowadays, out of pocket, you know, because uh, it's such, such a big small thing. attack. Yeah, that's what I've heard.
4: I, I don't know that phrase, but I, clearly am not a kid.
3: <laughs> and if you're
5: angry at me for being being successful, for being what you could have been, Sean. I'm not angry at you, Jerry. Oh, yes, you're angry at me, Sean. You resent me, but I'm not going to apologize for any any
1: success I've had.
2: I'll tell you what I think about Jerry. Okay. You know, he's framed this whole thing that he's a success and Sean is a failure. Yeah. And I think he has to believe that because I think Jerry is deeply unhappy and is really, really scared that he's the one who's a failure and maybe Sean's at a success. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah.
4: Well, and it's also if if you go back to your theory, Steve, about the power dynamics when their relationship started in school together, if Robin Williams character, if 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 if, if, um, if Sean was the one in the position of power and sort of leading yeah. Jerry and teaching him. It almost feels like this is Jerry's attempt to flip the script at oh, yeah. a later point of the thing. Of like, this is his moment of saying, "I'm." And this is where the you know the student becomes the teacher, and now I'm going to teach you all the things that you need to know, just like you taught me the things I needed to know back, you know, way back when.
2: And by the way, when this argument as it's escalating, we see Will has actually has arrived. He's in the background.
3: Before we go into Will showing up, the you guys or yeah, you guys mentioned something in the first part about how you yeah steve you were talking about it how you felt like the way it was shot it was out of order or the way the camera angle. this is um i think gus van sant fumbles the ball here in this transition scene they're having the back and forth and you've got the shot of them from the other side having the back and forth stay on that shot having the cut to where we're close up on their faces on the other side of the fight where he's like if you push him jerry if you push him To me, it immediately undercuts the emotional back and forth that we're watching because it feels Mm. like a stage shot by a director. Mm. And I think it's such a mistake when he could have easily just swung the camera over to see a Will walk in to the office. Then you can make the cut to them looking at Will from their point of view. And we're looking at them from his point of view. So to me, I hate this cut in the film, and I felt I needed to say because when am I ever going to talk about this film again? <laughs> I just think it's the one cut right before we're about to enter this really emotional scene. It feels like a TV movie cut as opposed to a theatrical film cut. And I'm sorry to Mr. V- Vance and or anybody who worships it. It's a great point, but I, it just—I
4: don't—I don't remember it well enough. I wonder if he was trying to dissipate or something or undercomes I I don't know I wonder Maybe. I wonder if he had a, if he had a thought behind it but I would have to go back and watch it to, to I think him
3: walking in about. is enough of a dissipation in that they stop almost embarrassed like I'd rather yeah. see their faces embarrassed cuz the, the they turn away from the camera to look mm-hmm. at Will cuz Will is the focus of the camera because he's coming in to essentially stop the fight by yeah. appearing I would have loved well, to and have it's, seen and their reaction
4: the you know caught in the act kind of thing yes, like when, yes, you, when exactly. you catch when you catch your parents fighting you know and they're right. like what yeah. <laughs> We're not fighting, what, what are, what's going on? What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I
2: would have I would have liked to have seen that more. Yeah, absolutely.
3: <laughs> my
4: my two dads are fighting.
2: <laughs> um, I think it's a great point. And what's interesting to me is that Sean has he's certainly heard all the little condescending jabs. Oh yeah. But he hasn't really reacted and now he now he loses it on. He says, I know who
6: I am, and I'm proud of what I do. It was a conscious choice. I didn't fuck up. And you and your cronies think I'm some sort of pity case. You and your kiss-ass chorus following you around going the feels Medal, the Fields Medal. Why are you still so fucking <laughs> afraid of failure?
2: I don't think Jerry heard any of that. No. His response is, <laughs> It's about my medal, is it? Oh, God, I can go home and get it for you. You can have it. Oh, please don't. You know,
6: that- you know what, Jerry? Shove the medal up your fucking ass, all right? <laughs> he,
2: he, he just like, I have succeeded. Therefore, Sean must be a failure and must be jealous of me. Right as opposed to Sean made different life choices. Because
6: I don't give a shit about your medal, because I knew you before you were a mathematical
5: god, when you were pimple-faced and homesick and didn't know what side of the bed to piss on. Yeah, you were smarter than me then, and you're smarter than me now, so don't blame me for how your life turned out. It's not my fault.
6: I don't blame you. It's not about
3: you, you mathematical dick. Jerry gets to Sean. So, Oh, yeah. So I love that, because Sean is not infallible, and certainly Will has gotten to Sean a couple times now, but Jerry does get to Sean because I think Sean in some way does feel a little bit like – and as Karen pointed out earlier, does feel like he didn't quite accomplish and would like to get a little bit of respect because who doesn't want that? And so he doesn't like being seen in a certain way. So the fact that Jerry brings this up kind of works on it because it must have intimidated Sean to be a Southie kid in this college achieving you know, the things he achieved. Yet there were slights and little comments about him. Being of lower class or lower uh, financial status that probably had has, you know, kind of stayed inside his body for years. Yeah. And so she, Jerry represents that, um, which is why he goes off the way he does in such a brutal fashion at Jerry.
6: He's a good kid, and I won't see you fuck him up like you're trying to fuck up me right now. I won't see you make
0: him feel like a failure too. He
6: won't be a failure, but, Sean. But if you push him, Jerry, if Sean, you ride him,
0: I am what I am today because I was pushed and because I learned to push myself. you. You get that?
2: And that is when Will shows up, and their you know reaction of being seen oh, in this yeah. <laughs> m- moment. I can come back. No, come in. Uh, I was just leaving. And Sean needs a moment to kind of gather himself. A lot of that stuff goes back a long way between me and him. Not about you. And in his hand, he has a folder.
6: This is your file. I have to send it back to the judge for evaluation.
2: By the way, they gave uh, Robin Williams actual case files of abused children with actual photos. Wow. And we see just glimpses, corners of the photos of a bruised body. Yeah. That look really brutal. And Will says, I, I think this is a beautiful, this is a really good line. Have you had any uh,
5: experience with that? Mm. Mm.
2: It's an interesting way to bring up the subject.
3: Is it the first time Will is surrendering any kind of vulnerability to Sean right off the bat?
2: I Absolutely. I think you're totally right. Yeah. When
3: yeah.
0: he's
2: yeah. asking him into his world. You know? Yeah.
4: Well, and, and and maybe it is a result of the last scene. hmm Yeah. Know, maybe, maybe, he finally is like, okay, we're going, we're going for it for real this time. And so instead of coming with, you know, coming back with a, with a, with a joke,
6: 20 years of counseling, yeah, I've seen some pretty awful shit.
5: I mean, have you had any experience with that?
2: There's a pause. And then Sean says, personally. Yeah. Yeah, I have. And Will's description. Sure ain't good. That is an incredibly vulnerable Mm -hmm. line for Will. Yeah. And Sean says
6: My father was an alcoholic,
2: mean fucking drunk. And then we cut to this top down shot of this man coming up the stairs. Mm. He'd come home hammered, looking to wail on somebody. So I'd
6: provoke him so he wouldn't go after my mother and little brother. Interesting nights but when he wore
2: his rings. <laughs> and that man coming up the stairs goes into that kaleidoscope image yes. yeah. from the very from the title sequence. And then Will says his truth.
5: Uh, he used to just put a, uh, a wrench, a stick, and a belt on the table and just say choose. Sean says, logically.
6: Well, I got to go with the belt there, Anna. I used to go with the
5: wrench. Why the wrench? Because fuck him. That's why.
4: Yeah, I had, I had to stop and write that line down because I just think that line is so sad and so beautiful. And so I think that encapsulates Will in one line, you know, yeah. that, that moment is just so, I think if you just hear that one line about him, you know, almost everything you need to know about him.
2: His defiance. Yeah. I think in a movie of filled with great lines, everything from, you know, how do you like them apples? <laughs> to I got to see about a girl <laughs> because fuck him. That's why it might be the greatest line in the movie. Yeah. It's just so much there.
4: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just filled like I'm, I'm getting emotional. Just, just thinking about it. You know, it, it just, it, it's so vast. There's, there's so much in that, that one little moment.
2: Well, and it's so it's defiant was a great word, Karen, and it's brave and it's foolish and it's self-destructive and it's strong. I mean, it's so it's, there's so much in there. So, uh, you know, what is it like? Will has an attachment disorder. Is it all that stuff? fear of abandonment (laughs) the thing about dealing with the genius will's read all the books Mm -hmm. it's not like will didn't he knew this already it's like you can't self-diagnose you're right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean intellectually sure i mean i know intellectually what some of my problems are but i still (laughs) seem to make the same mistakes over and over again
4: you know Uh, welcome to being human Um,
2: (laughs) and i love that when he says is that why i broke up with skylar that sean surprise says i didn't know you had i did to talk about it? No. And now we've gotten there. Yeah. Sean says, I'm going to, I'm going to cry. I'm going to burst into tears just trying to explain the scene. He says, Hey, Will, I don't know about, you see this?
6: All this shit.
2: This is not your fault. Every time he says it, it's a different meaning. Yeah. yeah. And it's all so gentle. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. And every time Will responds to, it's not your fault, it's different. Mm -hmm. Because the first one is casual. I know. It's the intellectually, I know that's not my fault. It's not Mm -hmm. your fault. And now Will is trying to communicate clearly, I understand what you're saying. You don't have to continue.
4: With a little more emotion. I know. No, no, you don't. It's
2: not your fault. And then Will's starting to get scared. Why is he scared? Because Sean is not only uh,
3: physically getting closer; he's emotionally getting closer to going through all of his walls. You know, I liken it to um, Agent Smith putting the hand inside everybody and turning them into Agent Smiths. He's wow. Burp, he's burp. he's uh, what do you call it? He's just penetrating. Yeah, he's penetrating through all the walls, just with love, with love. And if you recall Skyler tried to do this and he retaliated as you said Steve with a forceful yeah. physical grab yeah. Chucky tried to do this and Chucky used the same terms that Sean just used mm-hmm. I don't know much but I know this oh yeah so You're there's right. this you know what I'm saying so there's this thing that's piece by piece and then the Jerry and Sean back so like piece by piece the walls have been slowly coming down and then here comes Sean. And Sean does it in a way that's – like Sean doesn't – like they don't sit down. and Sean just – you see the file, puts it down, blah, blah, blah. And you see Will almost feels a little naked because there's all his shit there.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, good point. Read.
3: So everything is there on the table. Literally everything's there on the table. And so Sean is coming in and Sean is coming in at, taking a chance as he did kicking Will out. He's taking the same chance by trying to go in and through Will's walls.
4: Yeah. I also I also think he's scared because I think he made I don't know if he made a conscious pact with himself, but he made a pact with himself when he came into the scene that he was not going to be flippant. He was not going to deflect. Sure. He was not going to say jokes. So he is present
3: yeah, good point. with
4: Sean, yeah. fully present. And the more that it comes to him, the more it gets him, because it's like he can't go back on this promise that he made mm-hmm. to himself that he was going to do this for real this time. There's a moment
2: that I totally skipped over that I want to bring up now, which is that at the racetrack, when he's listing his twelve brothers and he says Jimmy, ba- Patty, Billy, whatever, whatever they all are, mm-hmm. Skylar at the end says, "And Willie." Willie, yeah. Well, I didn't mention it before, <laughs> yeah. but the reason I'm bringing up now is it suddenly occurs to me after Chucky and Skyler and even Jerry to some degree have stripped away pieces of his, def- his defenses. Yeah. The person that Sean is saying it's not your fault to is not 20-year-old, 21-year-old Will. It's Willie. Oh, yeah. Good point. There's this little kid who thought it was his fault. Yeah. Who blamed himself, who felt like a bad kid. Yeah. That little kid is the person that Will has been protecting.
4: Yeah, Yeah, that Sean's trying to get to.
2: And it's moving faster. It's not your fault. Mm I know. It's not your fault. All right? It's not your fault. And he's getting closer. And you so see Will now is kind of losing the ability to speak. He's starting to cry. And let's just say Matt, Matt Damon's performances.
4: He's crumpling. Like he's, yeah. he's like physically crumpling on himself in a way that you've never seen him physically behave before.
2: And what does Will do every time he starts to feel vulnerable? He attacks. And he tries to attack here. Don't fuck not your fault don't fuck with me all right don't fuck with me sean not you
3: it's not your fault Uh, yeah i wonder if because i mean damon it looks like he really hits robin and robin reacts oh yeah get the fuck off like there's that instinctual thing you know what i'm saying as an actor so i wonder how much of that they discussed like uh, just you know go go for me And I'll just defend myself. Yeah. I'll be in the scene with you. I'll be in the scene with you, which actors sometimes do. Like, just hit me physically as you would. I will stay in the scene with you, you know? And so it it takes a lot
2: of trust to do that in a scene to bring out the reality of it. And then this line's really interesting. Sean, not you. Yeah. And I think it's that I trusted you. Mm -hmm. I I felt safe with you. Yeah. And now I don't. (laughs) And now I'm crying again. He says, it's not your fault. Will covers his face, starts to sob.
4: It's not
2: your fault. And then falls into Sean's arms.
4: So, is that eight? I'm counting eight, I think. It's not your fault. Possibly
2: eight. I I think I might have missed one or two, so we'll have to be sure about this.
4: Ten? Are we saying ten now? But it's, I mean, and every one of them is beautiful and different. And, you know, again, I mean, we've said it before, like the, the, the acting work between these two actors in this moment. And John, I, I I hope that that was what they did. I hope they had that kind of like a, let's just see where it goes and, oh, yeah. and just, you know, have that moment because you, you know, we've all seen that before when a, when a moment can be born out of such truthfulness of, 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 of a person in, you know, in taking over a role and really just falling into it completely so that you can yeah. just, you know, emote the way that, that great actors do. And it's just I, I I literally could watch the scene over. I mean, I, I would be a hot mess on the floor, but I could watch the scene over and over again because it's just, there's so much there. Like every time you see it, every moment, every word, every sentence, like, and he's saying it's not your fault. And that could be in lesser hands, boring. And there's not a moment that you are bored in the scene. You're only in a strange way wanting more. You want him to say it more times. You want to see this scene go on. You know, it's,
3: It's almost, um, if I remember correctly, and those of you who are still in acting classes, you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost a Stanislavski exercise where you're repeating the same word over and over again, but you're giving a different meaning. And they're repeating the same word, a different word back at you over and over again. And you're going through this emotional journey in the exchange Mm -hmm. because it's not the word that matters. It's the emotion you put in the word. As yeah, an the, actor, so
4: you the Meisner technique in. is a lot of that of like saying the Meisner technique, the Meisner one, yes. and so yeah, but yeah, yeah, definitely.
3: So that's what I think. That's what they leaned on that for the, which is genius to throw this in here, and it's why it's memorable because of the repetitive nature. Yeah, of Yeah, the it. repetitive
4: nature of it's it is just down. It, it. Yeah, and, and and because because Robin Williams is such a a deft actor, like he's mm. so. I, 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 there, I, there, I have no words for him. I just, I just want to just go mm, like, I, I want to grunt for what he yeah. He's so good.
2: Um. So by the way, based on my notes, the answer to the question is 10. It's not mm-hmm. your fault. Wow. I think and, and I might not be a hundred percent right. I also think it's really interesting that what does Will say as he falls into Sean's arms? He says, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And I think personally he's apologizing to everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the world, to Chucky, to Skylar, to Jerry, to Sean, to himself, to his the other kids in the foster house that maybe he didn't protect to everything, to, to, to the mom. cop that he punched. To, yeah. All of it.
4: Yeah. But but definitely I, I think there's a lot of to Sean because I think there's such a deep connection between the two of them. I think I think Will never expected to find anyone that he could Emotionally connect with the way that he emotionally connects with Sean because Sean is of the same, you know, that Southie thing that, that they both have been, you know, in abused families and and you know, different obviously. But I think because Sean finally got through to him, and yeah. I don't think he can say thank you yet. I think I'm sorry is his way of saying thank you for for him getting through to him in that moment.
2: And I, I love that as the camera pulls back, Sean says. <laughs> And I'll I'll say one more thing about this scene. The idea that Sean is a failure, right, is insane. Yeah. Of yeah. course. I mean, I I will honor the Fields Medal all day. That's an incredible accomplishment, but this is an incredible accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. This is a fucking Fields Medal, you know. This
4: is this is life-changing for so many people, you know. It's life-changing for Sean, it's life-changing for Will, and it's going to be life-changing for everybody that they both connect with for the rest of their lives because this is so cataclysmic for both of them.
2: And then we kind of go into a montage, and and again, this is where I feel the movie is sort of drifting a little. It takes a while to get from this unbelievably powerful scene to the end. And so uh, we see him go apply for a job, and I don't even know why they include that. It seems weird for him to apply for a job at McNeil after he's had this scene with Sean. It seems odd to me. Is that what you want? Yeah, you know, I think so. Good for you. Congratulations. Thanks. And. This is how you do a thank you, by the way. I just want you to know, Sean, that you're welcome, Will. <laughs> and he asked what he's been going to do and that he's going to be traveling around.
6: Yeah, you know, I figured I'm just going to put my money back on the table and see
2: what kind of cards I get.
4: Which is beautiful.
2: Because as you said, as both of you said, Sean needed Will too.
4: I think Sean needed to show Will in this moment that, he had a profound effect on his life Yeah, yeah. that's equal to the profound effect that, that Will is saying that Sean had on his, you know, I think that's important for them to both know how important they are to each other.
2: And in a lot of ways, this is a movie about the value and the strength that comes from showing vulnerability. Yeah. If Sean hadn't shown his vulnerability on the scene in the bench to Will, Will would not have been capable of helping Sean.
4: Yeah. I would take it back even further. I would say the, the vulnerability of attacking yeah, Jill in the first scene, mm-hmm. you know, because, because that's that, that, I mean, back when we were talking about that scene, I mean, his face, when he, when he leaves at the end of that scene, which, uh, well, Robin Williams face of like the, 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 the the pain of having lost it on him in that moment. But it was also the most truthful moment that they had you know, in that first scene was when Robin Williams's character loses it.
2: And they hug <laughs> Will says violate like
6: the uh, patient doctor relationship. Uh, only if you grab my ass.
4: <laughs> <laughs> back to the flippant, which is great. We're glad we're back there. <laughs>
2: but then we end with Hey. Good luck, son. The son. It's not chief. It's yeah. not sport. Right. Yeah. Son. We're at the bar. Apparently, it's Will's birthday, which means he's allowed to drink. It means the all this stuff that he had to do with Sean and with Jerry is all over. And they take him outside, and for his birthday, they're giving Will a car.
4: I love that. I love that they did that. I think on it's the a, side. Yeah,
2: I it's think it's just, a really nice scene. I ju- I just still feel like okay, let's 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 move it along. At this, you gotta point. have a break in between this. Come on, Steve, we gotta
3: have a decompression scene. That's uh, fair. This fair. is a good decompression scene because he reconnects. And this, if we don't know he has a car, right. when he's driving away, you know, later on, it's not connected.
4: I feel like this is where you get to know a little more about um, Cole Hauser's... Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, he's it's, great. It's, it's his moment. Like, this is his big moment in the in the thing. Is he's, he really kind of shows up in this scene in a way that he's been on the sidelines before, you
2: know?
1: It's a good car, though. The engine's good. The engine's good. Happy 21, Will. Happy 21, bro.
2: We're back with Sean, who's packing up. Stellan Guard shows up. And just as, just as Sean cut off Will's thank you by saying, you're welcome, he does the same thing in a weird way with Jerry. Sean, sure. I, um... Me too, Jerry. He cuts off the apology and says, we're good, basically. I heard you're taking some time.
6: Yeah. Travel a little bit. Maybe right.
5: So where are you going?
6: <laughs> I love this line. India, China... In Baltimore. <laughs> you know when you'll be back? Yeah. I got this flyer the other day. It says a uh, class of 72 is having a reunion in six months. Yeah, I got one of those too. Why don't you come? I'll buy you a drink.
2: So this is coming full circle. It's like, yeah. okay, I am going to go to the reunion.
6: How about a drink right now? Yeah, it's a good idea. Come on, this one's on
2: me. And he holds up his lucky lotto ticket. <laughs> <laughs> to which Jerry has to tell him what the odds are. <laughs> and they head out walking up the stairs. By the way, the set ends right at that top step. So as soon as they step up, there is no more set. Uh, that's- it's funny.
4: I was I was actually just going to say, because I, I do love, like, I can't picture the, the entire time we've been having these conversations. Like, I cannot not picture that looking through the door of Sean's office to those stairs. That is yep. a beautiful Bit of like, I don't understand why it's beautiful set design, but it is like it, it yeah. is so perfectly like it just tells you everything you need to know. And it's and it's visually stimulating in a really good way. I can't explain it, but it it, it, it catches me every time I get I get a look at that, at yeah. that view.
2: So the next montage or it's really intercut between two sequences. This is exactly as it was written in the script. We see Sean packing we see Will has pulled up to Sean's place in his car, and we see him through the window. We see Chucky uh, driving with the guys. Will puts a note in Sean's mailbox, and then Chucky pulls up. And I think when Chucky pulls up and gets out of the car, we start to get it. And maybe maybe they put in that Will taking a, a job at McNeil is like a misdirection, so we would forget about that or something. Oh, good no.
4: point. Yeah. yeah.
2: And Sean goes downstairs and he sees the note. Just as Chucky is arriving at the door and is calling for will oh. and he looks in sees the empty room I don't know this last time I watched it this moment really got me too yeah just looking at that empty room
4: yeah
2: and he smiles and the guys are honking the horn to get him to come back A Ben Afflecks smile as he walks back to the car is just great oh. interesting thing Ben Affleck was on the set for everything. Matt Damon consciously chose not to be on the set for this day of shooting.
4: Oh, oh good for him. That's actually really right? smart. Really yeah. smart. You got to feel the absence, you know?
2: Yeah.
4: All of the actors, everybody needed to feel his absence in that moment.
2: Yeah. Um, and by the way, so, so you know, Chucky yells that he's not here. At the moment he says that, <laughs> Casey Affleck runs around, calls shotgun and gets in the passenger seat, which, of course, was his idea.
3: It's just great because you know you don't want the thing to get melancholy and so to have a little bit of humor and even the score changes right because i mean the score initially when he's walking up and all that, score is like a little bit more somber and then there's this little bright these little bright notes that come in and ben affleck smiles and then when casey runs around and jumps in there's like a moving on of life yep it's okay it's gonna be okay
2: so Robin is in front of his house reading this note. And by the way, apparently the word got out that Robin Williams was shooting on an exterior in Boston. Oh. and so like 500 people showed up to watch him do this. <laughs> yeah. And he is doing take after take. and And for this one, Matt Damon is on set because he is off camera reading the note.
4: Oh, that's cool.
2: We're hearing "Miss Misery" from Elliot Smith.
4: My favorite, my favorite song on the, on the whole album. It's Great. I cannot not listen to that. It's just beautiful.
5: Sean, if the professor calls about that job, just tell him sorry.
2: I had to go see about a girl. Well, and Robin would do it, and then he would improvise a line, and or he wouldn't improvise a line, or we'd do it. And they said he did like twenty takes with five hundred people watching. And he kept not being satisfied with the take. And on one take, and it wasn't the last take, he said, Son of a bitch. He stole my life. <laughs> which he improvised. And then he never did it again. Oh. And, it w- and and as soon as Matt Damon heard that, he was like, that's it. That is the that is the end of the movie. And uh, But Robin didn't like it and wasn't satisfied with it.
3: Oh, wow. really? yeah. that's such a good line.
2: Yeah. It really is. And then we cut to... This incredibly long driving shot that is the entire credit sequence. And I remember, Karen, you and I seeing this in the movie theater and just going, watching the whole thing. It's an amazing shot as we listen to Miss Misery um, and the credits are rolling as Will is driving west to California.
4: Well, the end is when he finally turned the, the the car turns yeah. and goes off screen. So we, we see the car go away and then it ends. You have to yeah. see the car leave the shot.
2: Oh, and I, I should say one other thing. We're listening to Miss Misery yeah. as he's driving away. And then we switch to a different song,
4: which is <laughs>
2: Afternoon Delight. Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab some Afternoon Delight. My the movie got it's really great ready, reviews. It's right the wild. only negative that some people said was that it was predictable. That's not a, I, I wouldn't feel that. I mean, I understand structurally why it is in some ways, but.
4: But if they say predictable, they're really talking like, theoretically predictable there was there's nothing in that movie that is you know what i mean like the way that it was all done was not predictable maybe the story might have been a little predictable but there's there's no predictability in
2: that. i mean when you have a story which is about a guy doing therapy to solve his problems in the end he solves his problems yeah no shit that's what's gonna happen exactly
4: but that's it's not what the I'm how saying. it's yeah. gonna happen exactly
2: um so the movie had a 10 million dollar budget it grossed 225 million dollars and Matt and Ben went off to shoot Dogma as we're rolling up to Oscar time. The movie is nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Actor for Matt Damon, Best Supporting Actress for Minnie Driver, Editing and Score and Original Song, uh, Miss, which was Miss Misery. Miss Misery yeah. 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 Jack Nicholson gets Best Actor for As Good As It Gets. Minnie Driver loses to Kim Basinger from, L- from L.A. Confidential.
4: So oh, Interesting.
2: I'd go with Mini. I think Kim Basinger, L.A. Confidential, that's her best performance yes. probably ever that I can think of. But I'd still go with Mini Driver. Yeah. Up against Robin is Robert Forrester, Anthony Hopkins from Amistad,
4: mm.
2: uh, Greg Kinnear from As Good As It Gets, and mm. Burt Reynolds for Boogie Nights.
4: Oh. That's
2: a hell of a competition. That's
4: a hell of a category. Yeah.
2: Best picture is As Good As It Gets, L.A. Confidential, The Full Monty, and Titanic. So needless to say, this is the year of Titanic. But Robin did win... Uh, for best supporting actor
4: by, by the way a, f- a favorite thing that i read about robin williams in this thing is he was talking about how when he got nominated and and you know got the uh, the award for best supporting actor that he said it was really cool to you know get nominated and get this award because you know people for like a week or two after were like hey yeah this great goodwill hunting amazing really great movie good one. and then a week later they're all back to hey Mork. He was like, it was really hard yeah, right. for just like a week or two to not have the morph yeah. thing be the thing that everybody was talking to him about.
2: Yeah. And then Kevin Smith has gathered all the crew and cast for Dogma, shut down the film what? to watch the Oscars, which because he's an executive producer on Goodwill Hunting mm-hmm. and is waiting for the moment that Matt and Ben are nominated for screenplay and they win screenplay. Ben Affleck, the youngest person ever to win a best screenplay Oscar.
4: And and Matt, I believe, was the second youngest to I ever think so. win.
2: And Kevin Smith has told everyone that they're obviously gonna thank him. <laughs> They did not thank him. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently he used that as guilt over them for years. Oh my God.
4: I have a quick funny story about it. Um, Steve, I don't know if you remember this, but when I was rewatching it, I had completely forgotten about this, but then I'm watching the credits as I do because those of us that work in the film business, a lot of times we watch watch the credits and look for names that we might know and especially old ones like this, I'm always curious to rewatch and see if there's anybody that I knew working on it. Steve, do you remember who I know that worked on this film? No, Kylie Fasha,
2: who you just saw a
4: couple of who I ago. just saw. That's part of what happened. Is I was watching Goodwill Hunting. Her name came up. We we we, we were fi- were fr- friends on Instagram, and so I wrote to her on Instagram, and that's how we reconnected. We saw each other on Sunday night for the first time in seventeen years. I got to meet her two 15 and 17 year old sons. And the next time we see each other, she's going to come and meet my son, which I'm really excited about. Um, and she
2: was, uh, you met her through accounting. She was, yeah, was she, she was, the, the she was, the, she was
4: the first assistant accountant on it. And, uh, and she and I worked for many years in accounting together. And, uh, it, I I was just like, I had to write to her and be like, I can't forget, I keep forgetting that this, you work, because it's, it's it's very seldom that on one of my favorite movies, I actually know someone who worked
2: on it. I'm trying to put my final thoughts in order. Let me, let me, uh, this is this is what I'll say. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, obviously, I love the movie. I find it incredibly moving, as you could hear in my voice as I was trying <laughs> to describe certain scenes. You know, we've talked a lot about how the drama, that there's certain kinds of films that that features and Hollywood studios have abdicated and that those kinds of stories are more being told on TV, that they're more daring, more personal, more emotional stories being paid, on, told on television than in the movies. Mm -hmm. But this is not a TV show. This is a movie. You can't tell this as a TV show, the whole, it is a beginning, middle and an end. It's a perfect encapsulation. And these actors and this script and the daring of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck to create this for themselves and do this amazing job. And then all the people from Danny Elfman and Gus Van Sant to the incredible cast, you know, we all talked about these amazing actors, all come together to make this really incredible little jewel of a movie, which no matter how many times I see it, is always going to make me cry. Well, I think this film endures because
3: it speaks to the experience of so many people growing up, so many young men growing up unfortunately still you know an abusive uh upbringing whether it be emotionally or physically um a feeling of inadequacy um a feeling of needing to protect yourself emotionally because you're afraid of the pain of loss because you you can handle physical pain it's heartbreak that is always the more devastating one you know oh, most of the time i would say uh the more devastating one to recover from and i think that's why it endures um uh, because of the story but also because of the writing and the acting and the direction um, and, the, and the songs, which we haven't done enough to highlight Elliot Smith's songs uh, and the score in this film, which really work on so many levels uh, uh, to l- give even more emotion to the scenes that we see. And sadly, Elliot Smith passed away under dubious circumstances only a few years after this film came out, had his own struggles with addiction, his own struggles with mental health. Um, So there's all of that in in the song. And it's just a perfect time capsule of all of these actors just before they explode into our lives and become household names in a fantastic film that will, I think, echo forever for people because the issues that they tackle, the journey that Will goes on and Skylar goes on and Sean goes on and even Jerry to a degree, are connectable and relative and universal no matter what generation you come from and i think that's what makes the film so beloved still
2: and will make it beloved for many years to come karen i know you waited a long time to come back on the cinephiles and i know you chose a very very special film for you to discuss what are your final thoughts on goodwill hunting
4: I don't know it's it's so hard to encapsulate but I'm really glad John that you mentioned the score I mean the, not the score the, the 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 Elliot Smith stuff again yeah. because there's there's been a few few films in my life that I've thought the score or soundtrack was like another character in yeah. the film yeah. and this is definitely one of those like you can't imagine this film without the Elliot Smith stuff like every scene that his music is in is better for it and and you feel like there's more going on because of that. And then even the and the Danny Elfman score stuff too is it like they they're the mm-hmm. perfect symbiosis between score and 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 music and it really is beautiful. I love that when I came and watched it again, it held up completely for me. I was worried that it was going to be dated. I was worried that it was going to be hard in some ways, but it wasn't. For me it was just perfection like it was back when it came out. I love that it's still so timely because of where we are in the world right now, where mental health is becoming more acceptable and more of a um, a thing that people will talk about with fervor and um, and really be in your face. I mean, like Simone Biles and all these people of of high um, levels in their in their fields saying that we need to take time for ourselves. We need to we need to figure this stuff out. It's important to take care of yourself. And it just highlights to me that there are going to be people like Sean's in the world that are helping people have moments like this where they can maybe change from having a being, being stagnant in a place in their lives into a, a place of movement and a place of growth and a place of beauty and love and, and just moving on. And I, I love all of these characters. I love I love Boston. Boston is you know a special place to me, and and they they capture it so well. I don't really know what else to say except that I kind of want to go watch it again right now.
2: <laughs> I think that's that's the best thing to say. So that's what we think of Good Will Hunting. Of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can search for us on Facebook. Do a search for the Cinephiles on Twitter. We are Cine underscore Files Cinephiles podcast on Instagram. And please, if you haven't already. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or YouTube or wherever podcasts are served, and please re- leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you have time. And if you want to buy or stream Goodwill Hunting along with every other film we've ever reviewed, you can do so at cinephiles.net. And you can support the show at patreon.com/slash the cinephiles, where you can even suggest films. And this film actually was a Patreon suggestion from multiple patrons. And if you want to reach me, you can reach me at srmore on twitter sr morris one on instagram and enterprise incidents where we are just about to finish the original series john how would people find you you can always find me at the roca says
3: on twitter instagram and tiktok the outlaw nation on twitch um and my youtube channel youtube.com slash john roca says and if you want to listen to any of my other podcasts uh the geek buddies uh the top 10 and uh the hot mic uh, and Strong Style, they're all out there
2: for you to download and listen to. Karen, I know you don't have any other podcasts, but if people <laughs> did actually want to reach you on the internet, how would they do that?
4: Uh, the best ones for me is just, it's just Instagram. I'm KMO Harmony on Instagram, and feel free to reach out if you have anything you want to talk about.
2: And Karen, thank you so much for oh, thanks, your Karen. much heralded and well, <laughs> m- years in anticipation return to the cinephiles.
4: Thank you so much for having me, especially last minute. Uh, I just couldn't pass up this opportunity. I love this movie so much.
2: And I think that's it for this week. We will see you next time for another great film on the cinephiles.